1981, brothers Gilbert, Jaime, and Mario Hernandez banded together to self-publish their comic book Love and Rockets. Gilbert and Jaime especially crafted two separate worlds, each following the lives of their respective characters. Jaime's half of the book, called Hopper's 13 or Locas, follows the characters of Maggie and Hopi, as well as a growing cast of evolving characters as they grow older and their relationships evolve in the world of very light urban fantasy. After gaining popularity through Fantagraphics' comic journal, Love and Rocket quickly became an icon of the alternative comic book movement, with Jaime Hernandez Locas portraying the aging punk scene of the 80s California, its messiness, queerness and characters of color reflecting the world of the Hernandez brothers as they were creating the comic. Join us as we step into the lives of Maggie, Hopi and many others. Welcome to Extra Issues. Hello and welcome to Extra Issues, the comic book reading club podcast where we choose a theme and read through a selection of comics that explore that theme. Our current theme is Fantagraphic Books, and we're kicking it off this month with our first of two episodes covering Love and Rockets. I'm Zach. I I only hold the title of podcast host because I used my feet on the ropes. Uh, As always, I'm joined by Charlotte, who uh, is constantly being pursued by a rich billionaire, romantic romantically pursued by this rich billionaire um but she says she'll only marry him if he can or (laughs) only marry him if uh he can make her a podcaster which of course is impossible charlotte yeah uh, i mean he's already bought twitter for me uh which wasn't (laughs) enough and uh like i think i think he will he would be a very funny podcaster maybe not for the reasons he thinks but yeah (laughs) Um, and, uh, we're, <laughs> did you hear my hesitation there? Cause I did say him and then I was like, well, Charlotte's not into them. So maybe that's a bigger barrier. <laughs> yeah. They, hey, they listen, said I didn't for consider money, you know? here, but then I was like, yeah, that's probably beside the point here. <laughs> also, are there many female billionaires? I don't like, feels like that's a pretty boy. That's kind of a boys club. Yeah, yeah, Rihanna, you know. It's Rihanna, just to oh. spoil it. If Rihanna Oh, yeah, okay, never you. mind. Let me date Rihanna then. Okay, <laughs> now we have something. <laughs> uh, we're also joined by a comic book, comic book critic, a writer, and the host of the podcast Bitches on Comics. She's so good at comic criticism, she ought to be locked up in a Sarah Tentury. It's Sarah Century. <laughs> Hi, Hi Sarah. that was great. <laughs> Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to talk about Love and Rockets. This is my favorite comic, so this is very fun. Yeah, so, um, yes, very excited to to have you on the show. Um, For the handful of listeners who might realize, have listened to our first version of this episode, just to put it out there, we did record this episode months ago, um, and then we had some audio issues, and Sarah's audio wasn't available, and so I edited one together. That was just Charlotte and I, and put it out on Patreon. So if you listen to the early access version on Patreon, it was, I think, functional, but not great, and we wanted to re-record it. So if you're like, I thought I already heard them do this episode, that was the kind of compromised version. Um, This is the one that will be out on the public feed, and it will also go up on Patreon. Um, 
but just know, you know, we're recording this. This is the first episode of the Fantagraphics series, but we are recording this after the whole series, so we might reference, um, you know, some comparisons to comics that we have yet to, that you've yet to hear us cover, just to kind of clarify the timeline uh, of all of this. Um, we are talking about Love and Rockets, a comic book series that ran from Fantagraphics from, well, nineteen eighty. Two, I think is that correct? 1982 uh, to present day in various iterations. It's the work of two, three brothers, uh, mainly two brothers, with a third I think kind of jumping in once in a while. But Jaime and Gilbert Hernandez, with Mario Hernandez doing um, small stuff. Sarah, maybe you can fill that in later. What Mario uh, mm-hmm. does, but. It's mostly Jaime and Gilbert, and they mostly... It, it's kind of a anthology comic that splits between their two work, and they have their two worlds, the Locus world from Jaime and the Palomar world from Gilbert. And if you read Love and Rockets issue by issue, it's going to be jumping back and forth between the two um, artists, or the three, and their individual stories that are not connected, except when maybe they are. I don't, I don't know. Do they cross over, Sarah, ever? Um, you'll a... see one character pop up every now and again in the other stories, but it's it's like background stuff basically for the it's most part. It's just kind of little little winks, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So you can read just Jaime's work or just Gilbert's work, and you get a complete package. But as we'll probably get into, you know, reading it as one whole thing has its own charms. Um, to split this up for the podcast, we are reading the library editions. Of Love and Rockets, um, which do split them up by Jaime and Gilbert's work. So for the first, um, for this first episode, we're covering. Let's see, I had this pulled up. Uh, the first three Locust books by Jaime. So Maggie the Mechanic, The Girl from Hoppers, and Perla La Loca. And then for Gilbert's episode, we're going to be doing three of those. The first three um, Gilbert uh, library editions. This covers Volume One, which ran from 1982 all the way through 1996. It's 50 issues of Love and Rockets. Um, the story continues from there, and it keeps going into Volume Two, Three, and I think currently Four. And um, but that's just a good a place to halt as any. But if you read all the way through, I bet you will be itching to read more, just like uh, we all <laughs> we all were when we finished this. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anything else before we start? Uh, Sarah, do you have uh, what are you working on that you want our listeners to know about? Where should they find your work? I've been doing a lot of video work. So my production company is named Sympathetic Lightning Productions, and people can look that up if they want to, because I've been doing a lot of like video and photography and stuff like that lately. So I've taken a pretty hard turn (laughs) out of a lot of the stuff I've been doing for the last several years. Like I'm not really writing comic criticism anymore. I do uh, often host Bitches on Comics. It's like kind of a, we've all been moving this like last year or so. So it's kind of on and off, like which host, (laughs) what host combination you're going to get, I guess, whenever you tune in. But Mm -hmm. I am still doing that. Basically, Bitches on Comics, um, you know, definitely a lot of work with Sympathetic Lightning. And I, of course, have my horror short story collection, A Small Light and Other Stories, available. So those are all easy, (laughs) easy things to find. I just found Sympathetic Lightning's website. Subscribe to your newsletter. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. Nice. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. 
I'm I'm looking at trying to get into something where I'm kind of talking more about the process of kind of starting videography and uh, photography just sort of, you know, from scratch, I guess. So yeah. I hope that it'll be entertaining, basically. Like I was thinking about doing maybe like a monthly podcast or something like that, just kind of uh, charting what I'm doing. But sign up for the newsletter, yeah. I guess. If uh, our listeners want to, uh, if you want to support the show, patreon.com slash mymarvelousyear, get six months early access to this. Uh, if you're listening to this in our public feed, uh, basically the entire Fantagraphics series is done and waiting for you over there. Um, so uh, go check that out. After Love and Rockets, we're going to cover all kinds of interesting stuff uh, Charlotte and I have already actually talked about, but... Um, we have Dave on next month to talk about Daniel Klaus's Eight Balls. We did a bunch of stoner comics for one episode. We covered My Favorite Thing is Monsters and Monsters with Tiffany Babb for an episode. All really cool stuff. And then, of course, we're going to come back to Love and Rockets, which we actually haven't talked about yet or recorded, uh, about the Gilbert Hernandez side of Love and Rockets, which I'm looking forward to. So uh, Love and Rockets started in 1982. Fantagraphics, I think, first big hit. Um, I think it's probably fair to say. Do you... Sarah, do you think that Love and Rockets, like, put Fantagraphics on the map? You think that's, like, a fair appraisal yeah. of it? Yeah, 100%. It, it kind of <laughs> yeah. seems like they came up together, right? Like, one boosted the other. Mm-hmm. And Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, to me, I mean, there might have been some other stuff before that, but everything that I've heard, if nothing else, Love and Rockets is very much the one that defines the direction that the company would be going in, because you see that they take a lot of chances in the 80s, they're bringing in, like, you know, all of the comics that are really inspired by Love and Rockets, like uh, Peter Bagg's Hate, you know, uh, Dan Close's Eight Ball, there's just like a lot of their biggest like their greatest hits that were at least immediately following love and rockets just have a very strong love and rockets vibe and it continues to this day i think that you know you really can't separate the company from love and rockets and vice versa honestly because this might have really just been kind of a um something they did over their summer one time and then they you know whatever had to get like jobs or something you know this Mm -hmm. the stuff that happens to creatives all of the time um but you know the idea that there was a publisher backing them and it you know to me i think in a lot of ways was pretty unprecedented and the partnership i think between them and the publisher i think was important in that yeah it seemed it it is interesting like having now read a bunch of other fantagraphic stuff that like there is and isn't a lot of crossover with love and rockets like nothing feels like love and rockets you know like it feels so singular but then like there are a lot of the same kind of broad um creator driven very like formal um yeah like formally strong uh what's the, the word i'm looking for like the the like formal process is very much at the forefront very like comic like these are comics that are like comic book creators comic books favorite comic books because they're also um very like technically sound um a lot of black and white i think is a big part of what we've been reading like i think the majority of stuff Mm -hmm. that we've covered charlotte have we covered anything in color now that i think about it that's a good question yeah uh meg mog and owl is in color meg mog and owl was color is that it? <laughs> I think. Uh, I think. So. Oh, my favorite. My favorite thing is some monsters. part of eight. Yeah. My favorite thing is monster. Yeah. Wasn't there some part of eight ball that was 
no maybe not yeah no, yeah full full black and white yeah 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 it's it's interesting yeah. um Anyway, Those yeah, covers, I, mean, I think, are so beautiful and popping, right? With eight ball that you yeah. could, you could, and then a lot of the other stuff. By yeah, I think that's that what I'm seeing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know what the covers look like except for like a handful because you know where I glanced at mm. them because they don't come in the, oh, the volumes. Isn't uh, isn't Ghost World kind of? It's kind of even like, in the original versions, blue. It's monochrome. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. Yeah, it's it's yeah. like blue and white instead of black and white. But it's still but, monochrome. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so there, I mean, there's that. There's very character-driven work rather than like, you know, plot stuff. It's all very um, yeah. You know, it, you could derisively say it's for the you know like the New Yorker crowd, but more than it is for the superhero crowd a little bit. Uh, although I definitely I I can feel that a little bit with some of the comics. Although this is very like respected by literary folk, um, I definitely don't like think of that kind of labeling for love and rockets the same way i might for like i don't know monster monsters or black hole or even eight ball um mm-hmm. there's, there's kind of a yeah there's there's way more of a punk energy to this than some of the other stuff oh read. yeah even something like um eight ball which is so like angry uh it still kind of feels very like like an a intellectual suburban. exercise a little <laughs> yeah, yeah it's sure, like that's, there's that's this it, yeah. is like a poor neighborhood and poor kids you know like it's kind of different yeah and it feels easier to access even like stylistically it's very it's very archy in some, in some ways uh like in the in the art and in the like kind of jokey nature of it mm-hmm. uh like it, it it feels more accessible than than the weirdness of like yeah eight bull or or even like my favorite thing is monsters Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, getting into what, um, oh my god, I keep, for some reason, despite having read this many times, I keep forgetting which one's Locus and which one's Palomar, because, like, they're not... Mm-hmm. This, this is Locus. This is Locus, which is not, like, it's just not a word that's actually used that much in the comic. Um, yeah. The, uh, so, it neither sound particularly when you get to the gilbert stuff palomar will be very well defined because palomar's like the village right yeah it's like the town and it's like a very small town as locus is what uh it's uh name for the girls right yeah and for the most part it takes place in like horta which is like their uh kind of yeah kind of punk area (laughs) like they all kind of live in the it's like they're it's like a los angeles suburb i believe right and then kind of yeah that's that's something we can we'll definitely talk about um yeah yeah it's a bunch of it's mainly about a a group of women and there's some men who come in who become main-ish characters but it's mainly i'd say four women two two are the real focus maggie and hopi and then penny and izzy are I'd say like on the half a tier below them, <laughs> but I think like those four maybe are like the real core of the comic, um, yeah. and then this huge cast of characters around them. And the comic is about—it's so hard to like put into the simple words because it's about so many things, right? It's but it's just about their lives, um, but whether or not that's their jobs or uh, wrestling or the politics that they get involved with or like bronze age pulp adventures um or Mm -hmm. if it is a crime comic or just slice of life like it has so many things and that's something that like is so appealing about this comic is that it is constantly rearranging and changing like what it is 
uh, with ever, without ever really losing its like core identity, which is, I think, the characters that move through all these different styles. Because yeah. um, I think yeah. this is the, for the most part, only comic they, they were writing, or like Jaime was writing. So it's mm. like, whatever he wanted to write or draw about, he put it into Love and Rockets. So that's, mm-hmm. that's part of yeah. why you get so much difference in like styles and, and different, like each each different issue of Love and Rockets, you could get of completely different characters, completely different tone of story with different characters in the Love and Rockets world, even if it revolves mainly around Maggie and uh, and Hopi. Uh, but yeah, like you have that structure of just like, hey, what does Jaime want to do this week? It's, it's so interesting. It, it really starts out like that. And I think for the first several years, it feels, it shifts styles, I think a lot more often, um, somewhere around like... Yeah, that's true. I don't know, issue 12, 15, something like that, like three, four years into the comic, it feels like he settles down a little bit and he starts, stops taking like, I don't want to say he stops taking swings because I think he still like moves into all kinds of new, interesting directions. Um, and yeah. like, and it's constantly the shifting. Issue. But like at the beginning, we get these, you know, these big fantasy stories, these big superhero stories. Um, and then that is something that kind of, it doesn't fully go away, but like you, you'll get like, for example, Maggie. It's more background. Hmm. It's but, more. It becomes more background. Yeah, to yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going on in the characters' actual lives? Well, Maggie has this big. There's there's an arc here where Maggie goes to the jungles to work. She's a pro solar mechanic, um, which is in this world mechanics pro solar mechanics, which is just kind of like that you can work on like Jack Kirby uh sci-fi tech <laughs> i guess um yeah they're they're like celebrities um sarah do you have something to add about pro solar mechanics i just think that they're fun <laughs> yeah it's totally. like the, the early days <laughs> are like we've we've talked a little bit about how the early days are a little rocky and whenever if you like start with the early days you might have kind of a harder time because it's like it does change a lot going forward that's not really the story as it starts is not anywhere close to where it is like you know a few years down the line mm-hmm. however <laughs> this is it's very fun to read because it's such so just like pulp yeah. stories and mm-hmm. you, as you said you know kind of just old comics but you know in this kind of in through the view of this very unique creator so it's, the it's same, a ton the of characters fun. The characters are still the through line. Like Maggie and Hopi are still there interpreting mm-hmm. the fact that Maggie, as a pro solar mechanic, goes to the jungle to work on this rocket ship. And then, like, there's a dinosaur there and there's migrations of dinosaurs. And then there's the threat of the this billionaire who's funding the whole thing is going to, like, drop atomic bombs on them. And it's all very, like, um, yeah, it's all very pulpy, right? It's like pulling from old adventure comics. But then at the same time, you have Maggie in the middle of it, who's just crushing on Rand Race, and she's writing letters to Hopi, and once in a while we cut back to Hopi, who's just having adventures. She's not having adventures, she's just living a boring life, being poor as a punk with her friends while she's reading these letters. But like that kind of, um, you know, then later we get a Maggie story where she talks about how she used to be a superhero, and it's this whole like, Jack Kirby villain, Silver Surfer villain thing comes in and cuts around between that stuff and what else? There's a few other like big genre swings. And I think it like it really settles down after that, but like um but you do kind of miss it. It comes at some, back at some point. Like, like, wait. I feel like I miss it a little bit. Yeah, it's it comes back. It's like the genre the action adventure genre 
is kind of gone after this for the most part but genre is a big recurring theme even for a comic that isn't really a genre comic overall Mm -hmm. because you have a lot of horror going forward i would say flies Mm -hmm. on the ceiling you know and then there's a few things i you know after this series like after the original series ends and it kind of goes into the next part of it there is more horror on the way and then there's also like the um the tea girls which is like a superhero comic straight up you know so it's like as much as it does kind of go away it's not gone for good it kind of continues to pop back up and the thing that yeah. yeah and jaime and uh gilbert both have in common that they have this weird way of taking genre and Gilbert has a whole series of books that are like, oh, these are actually movies that are in the universe of Palomar, right? So he has a series of books that are just movies that you'll see Fritz keep popping up because Fritz is an actor, so she keeps popping up in the movies. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So it's very, as like different characters, right? It's very meta, and it's meta in this way that is so natural, you know? It's not kind of like, you know, 500 one-liners like a Rick and Morty episode or something, right? It's like, you know, constant sci-fi references and metatextual humor, but it's this very kind of gradual and fascinating version of it, I guess. So I just want to say that... Anybody who gets through this series and they're like, oh, I kind of wish that, you know, there had been like more of a continuation of those early stories because it really does drop off, but it comes back. (laughs) Like you can always come back later on because I just think that genre comics and stuff is like, so you you get the sense that both of the brothers are so in love with genre stuff that, Mm -hmm. you know, it just, it can't go away for for good. There's also, I mean, even if they're not, doing like sci-fi genre stuff um there is still a constant shifting in like what the comic is like what it feels like in this moment like this story will be kind of like a sad meditation on like lost friendship and loneliness and then the next story will just be about like wrestling and how cool it is to like slam someone into the mat (laughs) right like um like after the end of this comic you know, which we didn't cover, but like Jaime does a series of wrestling comics and just does pages after pages of these beautiful illustrations of women wrestling. And it's yeah. just like the fun of wrestling and it becomes a wrestling comic for a while. And then it becomes... And it's so good. <laughs> oh my God. It's I incredible. love it. Like, but yeah. then, it, you know, it'll be a romance comic for a while and then it will be a traveling comic. And then like, you know, and it's yeah. not necessarily Here's a 90s like, indie film for a little bit. Right. Yeah. 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 And it, it's not, it doesn't feel like it's just doing like, well, here's, I mean, the, th- the thing about the comic is it does feel like it has a sort of rolling continuity of like the characters change and they move on and from things and they grow up and like things impact them. And like, yeah. there are changes to the world and to the story, but it does not feel like necessary i mean it kind of feels like reflective of life where it's not just a series of episodic adventures that all have to lead one to the next plot wise like i think yeah it's definitely like it's leading to any kind of ending even like in individual stories for the most part like never feels like oh this is like this story had a beginning and an an end like structurally it feels like oh it ended here but could have ended like five panels later it could have ended like three pages earlier like it still still works it, the amount of times <laughs> that Jaime ends stuff with kind of like wild coincidence 
it like is so <laughs> funny, but that he can pull it off because it kind of seems like yeah, sometimes coincidences just happen, and like because it's not because the plot so rarely is the point here. It is just about like what the characters are going through in their lives and observing their lives and the the rhythms of life um yeah like when you get these weird coincidences it doesn't feel like some kind of deus ex machina to like get them out of trouble because the trouble is just life it's just like what is happening to them it's not necessarily like a plot trouble so um, right and, and then sometimes like you I said would... un- unfulfilled stories i just sorry I, uh, there's one example i just want to bring up which is right at yeah. the beginning rena titian titignon um yeah yeah, is a wrestler who is looking for like a, a long lost lover, who she's not sure if he's dead or alive, and it's revealed that he's in prison, and he's talking to his cellmate about like you know who doesn't believe that he used to date, uh, you know, Rena, this famous wrestler and freedom fighter, and this you know like way too hot for him, um, and <laughs> so he's he's telling the story about how the two of them met, and that's like what this comic is, and you get like three parts uh, to this. And then at the end of it, it's left, it does not show the two of them getting together. It's still, like, before things had, like, solidified with them. And then, like, it cuts back to the present, and the guy's still like, I think you're making all this up. And he's like, no, no, for real. And then we move on to the next story. And we never actually get the (laughs) the satisfaction of this, because it's just, like, um, the narrative between these two men sitting in a prison cell telling stories to each other. And it's just yeah, kind of more about, right. like, this small moment of Rena's life more than it is, like, filling in the lore, necessarily. You know, it feels so unconcerned with the normal plot mechanics of uh, yeah. most narratives, let alone, like, comic, especially comic book narratives, but, like, you know, narratives in general. Um, you know, right. I, I love that I about the comic. I was going to say that there's... Yeah, same. I mean, I was going to say that there's a few things. It's like when you look at not just, you know, what their influences are, but the things that actively kind of define a lot of what you see is like in the beginning, it's very pulp. But then it does, as you're saying, it kind of turns into these like little vignettes or whatever, like short little clips sort of. And often they are just kind of wild coincidence. And then it's like end question mark or whatever. Um, and it's to me that's very archy, right? It has like this four five page yeah. setup, and it's like they're delivering a gag, and it's kind of the characters having their um, their comeuppance in a way, and it's like it's so defined by their characters and their personalities and all of this. So to me, that reminds me a lot of classic Archie comics, which I would almost guarantee that they've read, right? <laughs> like it, it, it would seem impossible that the Hernandez brothers did not read Archie, you know, because they're super influenced by the Peanuts, oh, yeah. right? That's another thing. Later on, whenever this series ends, you get to a place where they do uh, a whole story that's about Maggie as a kid, as like a little baby or whatever. And uh, that's pure Peanuts, yeah. I mean, it's a horrible abuse story, but it's also just like the Peanuts. So yeah. what I wanted to mention is is that you have all of these influences that to me are very clear influences, but Love and Rocket still remains a paradox because the way that the storytelling happens by taking it from date, like Archie characters never age, superheroes never age. These are characters you know, unless you're like Ted Knight, right? Like there's like one character that can age, but 
also is always like gruff hot 40 year old <laughs> not necessarily like an old man right it's just very rare to see that in serial format because serial format wants to keep going indefinitely and so pretty much like yeah the idea that everything these guys create is pretty much always in the same universe unless they're very specifically like Gilbert I think did a short story for like the bizarro DC comics or whatever so like you know that yep. clearly isn't in the love and rockets mythology yeah, yeah. but but it's just like to me it's like just the fact that there is this looming universe that's created just by these brothers and they also have kind of like different corners of that universe but it's so self-contained but so influenced you know by so many other things that i think that that's kind of the thing that makes it be so stunning as a narrative because you're just like oh it's everything i like but it's also this totally unique thing that we're just never going to get anywhere else like you would never be able to recreate love and rockets it's impossible <laughs> like you would never be able to do it because the way that they tell their stories is like we're here with them throughout their lifetimes and that's i mean it's just unheard of having a comic book that goes for more than 12 issues is almost unheard of at this point so yeah, yeah. the the idea that it's like like you could read I, I could hand you issue you know i don't know whatever somewhere like issue 40 of this and the only barrier to you knowing what's going on is that you know who these characters are that you would be able to be like oh well that's maggie and that's hopey and i kind of get their personalities but you're at this being handed issue 40 you're in the same conundrum you are with issue one which does just throw you in with these characters yeah. and you just kind of have to figure out who they are just through watching them interact and through context and like the comic does mm -hmm. not hold your hand in this which i think you know i do want to talk about the beginning of this i think there's a bit of a barrier but yeah. i think that barrier kind of exists equally anywhere in this comic because it is not like you'd be like oh mm -hmm. well you know what what's going on like with you know the plot here like what's the backstory to these characters what you know what has already happened to them it kind of doesn't necessarily yeah. matter because you are just watching mm -hmm. them exist and live their lives and it's just this moment in time and you know sometimes the comic jumps around in time towards the end of volume one we kind of get this like loop back to the beginning uh that then like picks up where the first page of the comic picks up with um yeah they're Hopi like that, the, that loop around at the end of this series yeah. is like absolute master class of comics you're just like mm -hmm. you took 50 issues and now you're doing this like epic callback and i just i'm obsessed it's it, I'm so glad that the series doesn't actually end with issue 50 because then there's so much story after this that I that we would have missed out on right but I think that the way that this worked out it is still such a great like breaking off point right because <laughs> you're just like cool everything's settled I guess I can like walk away from this and the fact that we don't have to is wonderful but they have such a good conclusion and it really does just it it really acknowledges everything that came kind of came before i will say that both of the creators from what i remember 
uh, have recommended to start with our second volume <laughs> if you were going to like do a read through and then go really? back to the first volume, which I think is interesting. But yeah, because uh, yeah, I remember reading an interview, I believe specifically with Gilbert. And then I think I remember Jaime saying this as well, but I don't, you know what? It's all from memory. So I could be just completely it's, making that's this interesting. Up. I can kind of um, see it just because like volume two definitely starts more in the style that volume one becomes but volume one doesn't let, let, right. i guess we can just talk about it the the beginning of this comic first hundred pages or so the vo- the first volume maybe a little more is very like it jumps all over the place it has these big shifts in genre like we're saying in tone and especially i think the like the amount of i, I think what people can get hung up on is the first big story that we see um which is the Maggie's job in the jungle where she's sending these letters back. It's one, it's a lot of text, you know, which he generally doesn't do after this. Like it's a, it's a lot of dialogue between characters, but the like the letter format of just Maggie like writing like like filling the page with text of Maggie narrating what's happening, but it also can feel a little um what's the word like you're supposed to be learning about the world building i think you can read this and be like okay so sanjo is the guy who run you know he's the politician who you know is oppressing this country but then there's these freedom fighters and then like what what's this rocket and (laughs) And the dinosaurs here (laughs) and a few like i think it, it did really help being like on second uh, read through, being like, okay, I know who are the like 10 to 15 characters that actually matter. I know who are the guys that I totally, don't need to yeah. know anything, like everything about. So yeah, like you said, the random like dictator's son in the jungle or like the random rich guy with his two like daughters slash lovers slash like weird, yeah. Like those kind of characters are like, okay, I know you don't matter in the long run. I can just like know what but your you, whole deal is. Yeah, being able to... Enough. Being able to properly place them in, like, this is not necessary. Like, when I'm reading Maggie talking, you know, about this country and about, like, the the lore of this country, so to speak, that I can kind of place this in, like, this is detail about the world, but it's not something I have to learn in order to make Love and Rockets, like, work in my head as a... um, you know, like, this isn't a fantasy novel where I have to learn all the proper nouns, <laughs> necessarily, right? Like, no, yeah. what matters here is that you kind of learn the dynamics between the characters. And, like, if you know who Maggie and Hopi are, and you can, like, get them kind of distinguished in your head. Because I read this also a second time, because we're recording a second time. And the second time through, it was, like, smooth as butter, and I had a great time. Whereas the first time, it was, like, a little, I don't want to say a chore, but it definitely was, like, it, t- it took a little bit more... Uh, you know, effort to like get through, and this time I like flew through those initial pages, um, and had a great time. Like, and I really enjoyed it. But I can see just the like the density of it, and it, I think also just getting thrown into this world. And he doesn't hold your hand ever, and this is true of the book throughout the whole thing. It will just hugely jump in time and place between panels, and you just have to keep up through context. Um, and I think that's great, and there's a confidence to that. And like, and it feels like there's just no wasted time or space here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it, it's a comic that like definitely demands that you are like with it and paying attention, right? And that you are not. Yeah. It, although, like at the at the same time, once you are kind of in this comic, it like it kind of becomes like a comfort read uh, for sure. I'm sure you have this also, Sarah. But like, just kind of like 
sitting in like I'm just gonna hang out with Maggie and Hopi and read like one story here and just like <laughs> it has a, it has a hangout vibe to it which is kind of funny for a comic that also like you know demands so much of your attention I think it also yeah it it can remind me of the best and worst times of being like a punk kid basically sure. so yeah. that's yeah. like that's kind of what's wonderful about it also just being older I mean I'm 40 now so it's like going out to a show is a very different vibe than whenever <laughs> you, I was like 20 did you turn 40 between last time we recorded and this time no I I turned you, 40 March 23rd baby I got okay. the same birthday as Shaka Khan <laughs> she's a little well I, I was gonna say I'm a little younger I guess but Yep, yep. I'm I'm pretty proud of that one and Catherine Keener and I'm just like, all right, cool. March twenty third is a good day. But yeah, I turned forty <laughs> then. And uh soon to be forty one. I just keep getting older and so does it's Maggie and happens, Hopi. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. going to yeah. shows as older people and just being like embarrassing like Daffy's teen daughter. Like this is like not something that you all have read, but it's basically just that. You'll see that they kind of get older and to me that really is a comfort <laughs> because it's like yeah. it's so unheard of in fiction like you don't see people aging like that and you don't see people changing with age or anything really and getting um, older I, I, think I can is- think of like four things period in media that do yeah that, you know mm-hmm. yeah. and it's like uh, Otherwise, you end up with stuff like X, you know, or something. It's like these movies where it's like getting old is gross and monstrous or something. And it's like, yeah, for sure. But being young is gross and monstrous, too. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like, to me, I don't really see it. But I also am just like, I kind of just I don't it's like yeah of course I'm not like woohoo I'm getting closer to death or something but it's like I am excited to know myself more you know it's like there's something (laughs) really lovely about getting older where you're just like I don't like give a shit you know about (laughs) what people have to say or anything it's just like you just want to live your life and you kind of just know who you are so well at that point like or I do at least and it makes me feel better you know it's like a good like familiar feeling and so in that way like you know, these any kind of media where you see people aging and changing and kind of their relationships change and they have some nostalgia, but a lot of times they're thinking like, oh, that was like a rough ride or whatever. It's like that to me is wonderful. And a lot of times something that he does actually very well, and I'm sorry to be bringing up stuff that happens like literally after the series ends that we're here to talk about. I, I mean, but, it's not it's not a comic no. you can spoil. Yeah, right? like, yeah. So I, I'm not worried. About, I mean, I haven't the, read it and I'm not concerned about hearing it. So. The flashback stuff with uh, Maggie, it's like, yeah, you're doing it in this nostalgic peanut style. But it really is like a, an abuse story. Like it's about really messed up stuff that happens to them, to her and Izzy as kids. And like why that bond that's so turbulent between them is also kind of unbreakable. And mm-hmm. how like Izzy like loves Hope, like it loves Maggie, loves Hopi. Because like Maggie's so concerned about it because she's like, why do you like Hopi so much? Everybody loves Hopi <laughs> the best to Izzy. And it's like, Izzy just loves Maggie so much, you know, but you don't really know that until you start to see like how 
their bonds formed and where they end and kind of all of that, right? So it's like when we see her interacting with Izzy in this era of the comic, it's kind of like an adversarial relationship. Like Izzy's like, move the out of my house like yeah you can't be here i have mental health problems (laughs) like get out of my house and it's like to maggie you know she's just like god everybody's always trying to like ruin my life and so there's that kind of that's like a part of their relationship but when you read later by learning where they started and where they end you get all of this new information and you have a much more complete idea of what their story is And, like, I just, like, cannot emphasize enough how rare, you know, and how special that is just to be able to kind of see this arc. And it happens over real time. You know, when I started reading this, I was probably, like, 20 or something like that. Now I'm 40. And so that's a good 20 years. And that's only, like, a fraction of how long they've been doing this comic. But there's just this wonderful enjoyment of it. So, and I will, to add just one last thing, it's basically like Gilbert is not a comfort read. Yeah. (laughs) But whenever you're talking about this, like there is, it's like the balance of nostalgia and the present and kind of like a hope for the future still is like something that is in every one of the Locust stories, I feel like. It's, yeah, yeah, there's, I mean, the, the, that friendship you're talking about is such a like core part of this and it captures friendship in a way that I don't see in much other art in that like Maggie and Hopi are constantly falling out and falling apart and sometimes for years but like mm-hmm. there, there's like an inevitability it feels like to them coming back together right that they will like find each other again which is the you know like beautiful kind of rhythm to this book and you know gets a lot of like sadness brings a lot of sadness out of that when they are apart and you know you're kind of dying for them to find each other again and then that ending right like those, those that last page is so fun and you know kind of this like heart-wrenching moment of yeah <laughs> Hopi, Hopi getting arrested for Maggie um but like the even in the like the micro that's the kind of the macro of them like falling apart and coming back together in the micro they still like they they react like friends do like real people who have a close relationship does that like you might like um towards the beginning there's a big party that hr costigan throws at his mansion and they snap at each other and they fight and if you were like why did why did they fight and why are they not talking to each other right now you'd be like oh i don't know like it's impossible to say because they're just both like doing they're both kind of in their own headspace and then Maggie gets triggered by something Hopi says, even though it was totally unrelated. It was not offensive in any way at all to Maggie, but Maggie is just feeling stressed and anxious, so she, like, completely loses it and snaps at Hopi. And that kind of, like, people just reacting to one another and, like, Mm -hmm. triggering one another and that, like, almost comfort in being able to, like, lash out and, you know, like, vent your emotions on your friend, knowing that, like, yeah, and half an hour we'll you know both say like sorry i yelled at you and then be back together is something you know you just don't see like illustrated um that like kind of friendship you know right because isn't isn't it now that like and i'm sorry to interrupt um isn't it now that um 
you know, so much of what people want relationships in fiction to be is just like a perfectly smooth ride, I feel like. Because, you yeah. Know, yeah, yeah. I remember whenever the movie Happiest Season came out and everybody was like, that's an abuse story. Like, <laughs> you know, all of all of this. And you're just like, it's a holiday rom-com, y'all. Like, I mean, it's that's not what they're going for. I guess there's room to criticize this stuff. But it's also just like... Sometimes you kind of just have to not be like, (laughs) I guess like in order to enjoy something, sometimes you kind of have to just be like, these are like the tropes of the genre and I'm just kind of along for the ride, I guess. But I also think that that means it's like the characters end up apologizing to each other sincerely in that movie because there is bad behavior and then there's a sincere apology and an ongoing effort because it goes to a one year later like let's look back and there has been an ongoing effort to smooth things over and make that relationship work and so to me I'm like that was a conflict and a resolution and a actual change so that's the best way (laughs) like you know uh, any conflict could go right is like that they actually like meet each other on equal terms and go yeah that was messed up like because we all make mistakes we all get on our own headspace and we all do messed up things it's like it's messed up to think that that's not the case and so i have the but levin rockets is like kind of the master class of that in a way because it's like yeah if you wanted to read this and be like hopi and maggie are toxic actually or something and it's like they know that (laughs) i mean they they're trying to not be Anyone in a real, like, long-term relationship knows that, that, like, I mean, my wife and I will be assholes to one another for reasons that it's totally illogical. I think that's the point I'm trying to get to. Like, I will be, like, you know, I feel slightly embarrassed by something that she said, and then I lash out in a really weird and off-the-wall way because that day I just felt particularly, like ashamed of myself and had nothing to do with her and it's like she could make the same joke to me 10 times and on the 11th time i you know react really poorly to it and then i'm you know a total asshole and then we have our rhythm of you know and then i apologize and she understands and we move on and like because people are messy and like that that's the thing i think people are messy yeah (laughs) like these interactions are not logical oftentimes you're like you're reading this and like Maggie will just blow up at Hopi and it's like, where did that come from? That has like, yeah. she didn't but, even suggest anything that would like make Maggie do this. But Maggie's just stressed about Rand right now. So she lost it. Yeah. Charlotte, but also sorry, with Love and Rocket specifically, I think part of it is the characters are left like some intimacy in some way. Like we don't see everything of their lives or of the, their relationship. So there are like many points where you're like, oh, I'm like, I missed something because, like, a month has gone by since we've seen those characters, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it, we, we, the comic doesn't feel the need f- to catch us up on everything because it doesn't matter. It only matters to, to those characters. And we always mm-hmm. see is, like, their reaction to it at this point or how something that we don't know about affects affect them because, like, we can't know about everything that can affect them in any situation because like they have had whole lives before this and that's not something you necessarily like feel when you're reading a comic like if i read right last issue of iron man i don't feel like iron man has had like a full 35 years of life before this because (laughs) is like yeah 
is like the previous the previous run and some stuff in Marvel history. This feels like hey, they've had twenty full years of life, like before this. They have been twenty complicated, messy years probably. They have had like many relationships, many lives, and like a lot of that has been together. So like that's a very complicated relationship that we as readers can't get like a good handle on because it's too complicated for that. And I think that's like, that's something Love and Rocket, that's something Locast is very good at. It's like, hey, just let go of trying to think you have a full handle of who these characters are. Just like, go along with the right. And like, you have a good idea of basically who they are, but you can't know everything about them. Because it's not that don't know everything about them. It's not that way that you're like... (sighs) what is this woman's deal? Like, why don't I understand what motivates her to do? Like, it's intriguing, but it's not like you feel like you're necessarily like, like in a traditional story sense, missing something. That's like, when you get handed this at any point in the comic, whether it's the beginning or the middle or the end, you're still like, oh yeah, they're messy people who have a lot of life that I haven't seen. Yeah. And, you know, some of that might explain what they're like and some might not. And it's always like, it's satisfying to, when you get those, you get those scenes that like fill in, you know, when they the first gossip. met. They're, and... they're always gossiping. And so you'll hear mm-hmm. gossip that doesn't apply. And then four years later, <laughs> you mm-hmm. read the yeah. story that like it's actually referring to. And you're oh, like, oh, my God, well, you brought this up like four well, years ago. Well, yeah. yeah. Oh, Charlotte, go on, please. Because also, you're not supposed to have just read issues 1 to 38 when you're reading issue 39, right? Like, that's not yeah. how comics worked. Um, that's not even really how comics work right now, um, even with, like, streaming services and everything. Um, it's like, you're... I think, like, both this time and last time, I read Love and Rockets, like, in the span of a few days. And I think, like, I'm really excited for, like, in a year or two, once, like, a bit of time has gone by, to just read it again and like just read one issue every every two days right mm-hmm. like just yeah. let right. it keep going and like forget what happened last time i think that's like like it, it's a weird compliment to to make to a comic but it's i think like it's a very good like bathroom break comic right like just read like an issue of love and rockets while you're like while you're in the bathroom like that's that sounds like <laughs> a good way to space it out and make it last and just hang out with these characters for a few months. That's like, that sounds really fun. That sounds like the right way to read this comic. Yeah, just little little snippets at a time. I mean, there's also like, yeah. to that idea of like filling in the character, you know, like last time, it's, it's very early on in the comic that you see how Maggie and Hopi met. And I think the first time through, I was like, well, I don't even really know who these people are necessarily so it didn't like like it filled in some of that relationship for me but it was so much more significant for me on the second read because the second read i'm like i know these two and i know their relationship so well now and so reading it this second time it was like the excitement to read and try to you know mine that (laughs) that like first meeting for like oh my gosh this is the first time they saw each other and look how like they bounced off of each other and isn't that like so interesting and you know in lieu of what I'm going to see from these characters. So I think, like, you know, that kind of... It's also just reflective of Jaime and his life, right? You're saying, like, these characters are aging, so is Jaime, right? And I think, like, he's just reflecting that into his comics. Because even Maggie at the beginning of this, Maggie's very different by the end of this comic, which is 15 Mm -hmm. years later in real life. Like, Jaime goes from being, what, like, 30? Uh... 32 i think to 40 
seven, something like that. Those are two very right. different times in your life. <laughs> um, and I think like the comic reflects that both in, you know, who he is and who the characters are. Um, mm-hmm. And so speaking to that, like that kind of messiness in the like, the like, you know, that people aren't logical uh, and people are not perfectly, you know, in their relationships and how they talk to one another. Um, it also has, it has so much space for that. And it has so much space for the messiness of just <laughs> life in general. So many aspects of life. I The comic, like, um, pe- people in the comic's opinions about gender and sex and race and politics and interpersonal dynamics is so all over the place. And people that you love will do really offensive things in this comic and hold... Yeah. Uh, like yeah. the way that people talk about lesbians in this comic right? <laughs> yeah, like know. there's a lot of like you just haven't had the right dick yet <laughs> right yeah, like yeah, yeah. there's a lot of that like you just haven't had the right man you know once yeah. once you've had the right Which, sex straight up have... i mean as a lesbian i can say you really still hear it all of the time so but that's yeah. kind of yeah, it like, too right is like there's not they're not signing off on it or something well i, want, I never yeah, I want to say things, like right? characters like you like will say like, that like that, that's yeah. the point is like yeah. characters you'll be like i like this person and they're, they're saying like lesbians aren't real <laughs> you know like right. or hopey I mean, even like this, the, the, even gay the or bisexual characters is... will say stuff like that in this yeah time. and yeah. then you yeah, have yeah. like but i mean gay people say horrible things about gay sure, people yeah. all of the yeah. time yeah, so i don't know i'm definitely just like honestly like it there's a kind of a difference for me because it's and i i, I just for me only because I don't um, I'm not going to claim to speak for everybody on this at all but I was going to say that yeah whenever I was like a teenager in the 90s like there was definitely like people thought it was like very fun to say offensive things to their gay friend and as a gay person I know this and I know that there was probably other variations of that (laughs) in the 90s for different identities and so I was just thinking that you know, as much as like now, I don't think I would really ever put up with somebody talking to me that way. Right. But there was like a time in your life where you were a teenager and all teenagers are basically horrible. <laughs> right. So mm-hmm. it's it's your bad time of life where you're just like everything is too much. But I was yeah. thinking, too, that like and of course, I was, I'm sure I said like the worst things. It's just your bad time of life, I think, when you're a teenager mm-hmm. and yeah, uh, you're kind of pushing boundaries. But it's like sometimes you're really pushing boundaries that are like there for great reasons. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like kind of. That's how I feel about a lot of the characters in it, because it's like they get older and they get like a little less offensive. Like Doyle comes back later and he's like a chill dude who's like, you know, goes from being like a scumbag punk rocker to being kind of just like an old dude who's like laid back. Um But that's kind of it is like, yeah, you're talking about like they'll say like literal slurs, like they'll say like horrible things about lesbians. That's all over this. But it's like, I do think that there was a time where people really did just say horrible things to lesbians. (laughs) Like, I mean, I remember very specifically, right? (laughs) I remember high school. Like, it was not, you know, I, I mean, I do feel like, I mean, even in 2000, people would say that stuff and it was not like 
for shock value necessarily it was just a little bit more accepted to you know throw out some and it's like this is literally what you think like you think that lesbians would just not be lesbians if there was like a hot dude in their life or whatever (laughs) and it's just like well lesbians are always friends with like five hot dudes and then you know you you get the like the different cultural aspects of it right both like yeah the the ethnic stuff that is for in sure place. well there's regular slurs dropped and it's like you'll you'll hear people say it in benign ways yeah you'll say like because you'll have that moment is it danita who says like she's like why do mexicans always look angry <laughs> or something like that it's like there's kind of this back and forth and then oh yeah please go ahead well, but I, I mean just to talk myself out of it, i mean there's you know different cultures around like different ethnic groups but there's you know the also subcultures of like the music groups whereas like right you see the swastikas around with the punk scenes and oh yeah like, and that was huge back then totally like, totally and you know like all these different and then you know you just get youths <laughs> youths who like to use this stuff because it's edgy and right you know all the all the various like you know cross identities that each have their own biases built in and you know upbringings and stuff yeah i mean you see part of it is up. also most character if if not all characters but at least most characters off in this comic are from like marginalized groups like i can't think of any like mm-hmm. who's the main white I mean, character doyle. in this i can't even doyle probably yeah doyle like, I one guess, of the yeah, only white sure. guys yeah yeah um, like i mean it's also like, like it's yeah white yeah i mean because we're maggie and hopi are they're not mexican-american i made that mistake on the first uh, episode they're uh, uh, isn't it hopi says that she's colombian and yeah. her mom's irish or something i don't quite remember what right that like was, both, but, both of them because they're like somebody calls her a mexican and she's like my mom my <laughs> like back when back when hopi is just like a shy like tween or whatever and is yeah. like mortified by everything yeah yeah yeah, so there's, I mean, there's also, like, you know, colorism stuff going on. Yep. Where, like, Maggie and Hopi and Penny, I think, seemingly are, like, kind of white passing, I'd say. Versus, um, oh, who's the character who comes in later? Oh, God, I'm totally blanking on her name. Um, the one who's it... the mother with, uh, dates the abusive boyfriend for a while. She's a stripper um, for a bit. Viv, right? Dan- like, Danita? at the end? Is oh, Dan- Danita. D- Danita. Is that her? Sorry, I didn't... I don't think I got as far as sh- her... Uh, no. With the tooth yeah, gap? Viv is, like, later. Yes, yes, with sure. the tooth gap, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's, that's Danita. Right, like, there's differences between, you know, the... Like, it, it gets down to that kind of, um, you know, the colorism in, you know, between uh, how they're treated in the world and how they have to go through the world. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, like, yes, there are very few, like anglo-saxon white people but then also there are varying degrees of like how much people are treated yeah you know in um you know as marginalized or as other here yeah 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 that definitely pops up but i appreciate that like it kind of gets that like you know it doesn't make excuses for it i and i, I like that like nothing is like hopi calls god and i wish i had read this text again. what's his name text isn't it T- text yeah uh she calls him the n-word uh just an outburst she's just mad and she lashes out and then it's not really resolved right like they make up but we don't see it we just see it through the fact that he kind of just like goes along to get along 
with it and you know and they keep going together because they're uh kind of stuck by circumstances right and he just mm-hmm. ends you kind of get through context that he's just like all right well it's just something i have to put up with with hopi <laughs> right is that like yeah. she might use that uh you know if she's pissed at me um right and then later he yeah. you know impregnates them which is the funniest thing. wild it's <laughs> a wild so, ride yeah so funny the the art of him looking so bashful of getting both because he's hopi like oh Penny. if i just got all these ladies pregnant <laughs> so good even the, um, the like the issue that ends with like him and the two girls and like hopi sitting in his face and him's just like arms raised suffocating it's like a very mm-hmm. funny last <laughs> it's time really good. to an issue yeah but like i just appreciate that it doesn't the comic doesn't feel like it needs to have the moment where hopi i mean sometimes you get characters apologizing to one another and it would have been fine but like i like that it kind of just gets that like sometimes people just hurt and sting other people without even realizing what they've done you know it doesn't even occur to them like and then everyone just kind of has to move on you know yeah, it's like there's no no excuse, <laughs> right? Like, no, no, totally. Not. Hopi is like really not just in the wrong, but in the wrong in a pretty severe way. It's, like it's you one just of the nastiest. Don't ever, yeah. Yeah. I would say, yeah, it's probably her nastiest moment, and that's kind of saying something because she does some pretty spiteful stuff in this series. Yeah. But, but it, I feel like, yeah. But the fact that it doesn't feel like it needs to redeem her, I appreciate. Yeah. Like, it's not- just like, we're not going to turn this into a moral lesson about right. how you yeah. don't call your friend that because it's dehumanizing garbage. Yeah. But it's definitely just like, oh, actually, she was just an asshole. And it's like, yeah, she has a reason because she's flipping out. But it's also and it's like you see that like she's really like her life is breaking apart right there. Yeah. And it still is just like, what are you going to do? Apologize for that? Like, you can't. So, I mean, yeah. it's it's I mean, an she, interesting... she could, but, like, the, you know, yeah. the fact that it doesn't, I think, speaks to, like, I mean, we probably all have that either, not saying we've all yelled the N-word at somebody, but, like, yeah, we no. either <laughs> have a moment of something that we've done that is very shameful and... Sure. You know, yeah, or that, definitely. Or that person that you know and that you love... Who also has like you were like oh yeah but I remember that time my you know relative said that thing about you know all Mexicans <laughs> right and you're like oh no for I sure I love this person yeah. but I and, well, can never forget that anyone here is like we've seen like three percent of their relationship maybe she has apologized who knows like yes like, it's, sure but. we've seen such a small part of the relationship that it's hard to judge like. Oh, why is he still hanging on for though? We don't know. Like, just that's how the relationship is. I mean, I, I definitely yeah. interpret it as, you know, I mean, kind of like what you were saying, Sarah, in the being in the 90s and hearing yeah. deeply lesbian phobic stuff, you know, especially in the 90s, you would be like, oh, well, it's it's much harder to turn this on somebody and, you know, like stand in moral you know, like indignity right. or not indignity, uh, righteous because it's righteous all part indignity. of like you can't take a joke or whatever. Right. Like yes. back then, it's like yeah. back then everybody was supposed to not have like those boundaries because You'll I be mean, honestly, standing alone, like in yeah, your, and it's know. like what's more fun for people than the humorless lesbian, right? Like right. what's yes, more exactly. the right. the joy of like that, or like in you know perhaps Texas case, like the angry black man stereotype. Like what happens if he does get mad about it, or just, it's just being like a scold all that's gonna or... happen. 
is they go in different directions <laughs> and like yeah, yeah. I don't know. It's just an interesting one. Like I said, I don't justify it. I don't justify it. Yeah, it's like I don't no, no, really yeah. justify um I it's like but neither does the comic, I guess, and like yeah, kind of showing I, yeah, how she's kind of like a nasty person sometimes, I yeah. think was important because a lot of times I think Hopi can really come across as the hero in a lot of ways because she's um, so out there and like you know she's like out here spray painting walls and doesn't give a fuck and all of this yeah but her decisions really hurt people throughout this and it's like as much as she loves Hopi she's kind of a shit to Hopi or sorry to Maggie yeah. like she's kind of a shit to Maggie and mm-hmm. so you're I feel just like, it goes like both ways oh for sure yeah but I yeah. mean like Hopi is like a lot faster to make like a fat joke about Maggie sure, yeah. than Maggie is to, you know, ride on Hopi's appearance or something. You know, it's like yeah. there's different ways, I guess, that they hurt each other, but that is kind of that the way that I see it, I guess, is like, yeah, you, the people that you love will hurt you in life. Mm-hmm. And like yeah. it yeah. doesn't mean that it neither means that it's okay, <laughs> but it also doesn't mean that you well, are always going to walk life. away from that right, person right. Yeah. because yeah. sometimes yeah. that person is a lot of other things too. And like, that's kind of the complexity that love and rockets brings, which is why I think it's such a necessary story too, because it's like now, as I said, like, I just think people really want characters just to be good only mm-hmm. <laughs> and like yeah. good and bad. And that's like what you get, right? Is like cartoonishly good, cartoonishly evil. And that's really kind of where our society seems to want stories to exist overall right now. And I always am just like, that's the challenge of Love and Rockets is you're going to read this and be like, Hopi's a little fucker. Like, I'm so <laughs> I mean, upset get, with this character. You get lines from these characters that you have so much affection for that like almost in any other like trying to think of (laughs) in captain marvel there's that little montage of captain marvel becoming a pilot and you get that one line where like some uh asshole dude pilot is just like you know why they call it the cockpit right and and she's like i'm gonna turn around and punch you in the face and it's all like a moment right i mean no i think that's just like a throwaway line that you see is that right because i no, okay, you're thinking I'm of the motorcycle. This. You're thinking of the motorcycle guy. But right, no, the no, motorcycle guy. There's no there's no like repercussion to that. It's just a glimpse of like what it's like to being a woman in the Air Force or whatever. Sure. Which, fine. Like I actually kinda like that line. I think that kind of sums up, you know, probably the whole thing succinctly. But the thing is, in that it's clearly meant to signal like I mean that that in, in that movie it's trying to signal the entire culture of sexism yeah. that like permeates, you know being a, a woman right. in the military but like in love and rockets your favorite characters will say something as nasty as that constantly because sometimes they're just trying to make a joke and it lands with a thud or uh you know they're uh casually joking about rape or god the, the way that they talk about rape in this comic is yeah just wild yeah i was <laughs> pretty that's rough <laughs> one of, that's some of the only times i'm like i'm uneasy not because of something the character does but because of like an actual like choice from the creators it was like well that's uh that's an interesting choice uh, to mm, like that's wanna... something you pointed out in our in our notes uh zach the, i mean it's it's just there's a strange way that he uses rape sometimes that kind of saps the power 
from it. I just guess, the or saps word the, rape. Yeah. Yeah. Saps the like the severity out of it. So like, um, like as a threat, you know, like yeah. that that sometimes men will just say it sometimes, like you know, to be like, oh, yeah, someone ought to rape you, <laughs> right? And like the women will just like roll their eyes or huff at them as if. They didn't just say something extreme. I mean, it's the same way. Like horrific, yeah. <laughs> but then also, Maggie will say it sometimes when she's like, she's crushing. She on, says about Speedy. <laughs> she's crushing on Speedy, and she's just like, she has the cutest little blush on her face, and she's just like, I could rape him right now. <laughs> and it's yeah. so dissonant the like the the use of that word with like how yeah. She's they're feeling. they're equating rape with like sexual aggression, right? I, like I which think, like they're I, not the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Well, in, in that case, you kind of feel like Maggie just means I could like I could jump on him right now, right? Like I could yeah, you know, exactly tackle him to the floor and start kissing. Yeah, him Yeah, you don't but, get the feeling that she's gonna like beat the shit out of him or so. You know, it's yeah, just like yeah, it's yeah. it's like that. But I don't know. It's a weird one. Definitely, I'm just like that's maybe something that yeah. people did in the eighties. <laughs> where they would just say that and you're sure, just like yeah. i don't yeah, think like, i know that world that is but... not my experience of nope. this but you know <laughs> not maybe, at all maybe in like 20 years people will read all the marvel comics that casually throw out like the you know ableist slurs and just be like oh yeah i was thinking of the r word in the 2000s yeah. it's like every two pages you get the r word like what was going yeah. on back there they just you know it would be like if we just saw the n word printed in a bunch of like silver age fantastic four or something i read um, like the um what do you call it whenever um in defenders whenever all the dudes are constantly like grabbing valkyrie and kissing her like and then like it's all just like oh my god oh yeah. well boys are wonderful i guess or something and you're just like <laughs> oof that's rough and to me that's like a little i'm not gonna try to rank this but i was like to me that unsettles me because there's like no uh context i guess like there's no kind mm -hmm. of like reconciliation like nobody's talking about why that was a messed up thing to do it's portrayed as a positive thing to do whereas in like love and rockets it's like yeah it has like the violence is kind of gone from it however i will say again after the original series runs you have there's like stories that take i i would say that take rape very 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 seriously I mean, so it's kind of an interesting 50 versus being you know I don't know, 30, a 30 year old right. in the eighties. And then, you know, he's a 50 year old yeah. in the year 2000. So. I was going to say that at least that there is like a pretty strong difference because, but I mean, yeah, there's characters who just are a creep the whole time. Like Dell is like clearly like a child predator who lets yeah. all of yeah, like yeah. the young teens like hang out at his house. But like the trade off is, is like, you have to sleep with this guy basically like Maggie and Hopi talk about that. Where they're just like, we kind of just don't want to be in that house anymore because uh, he's a creeper, <laughs> like, yeah. all of the time. And then that means that they're homeless. And so, like, you know, it's like, as I, as you said, like, in it is kind of like they they are, like, weirdly defanging the word in a strange way, which, like, I, mm -hmm. I, I do agree that there's, like, dissonance definitely around that. But I was also, like, but them trying to avoid this dude it turns into, like, a whole story where, like, they actually are in threat of losing their housing. So it's, like, there is kind of a, like, it's serious and it's not, I guess. Like, it's a, but that is kind of how problems arise 
is like they're serious and they're not like they're making jokes about how they have nowhere to live and stuff like that. And to me, that is actually pretty true to true to life is like the worst moments of your life. You're just like, let's make a bad joke about this because that's your coping mechanism, I guess. And I guess I see that a lot in these characters. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, that's certainly like runs throughout like these horrible things happen to them and you know sometimes they treat them extremely extremely lightly del chimney it was weird reading this uh again because the first time you ever hear about them it's them talking about how they've been martyred (laughs) and then like you only meet them later but uh i think i had kind of like since i didn't know who they were the first time it didn't like stick with me but like they uh they get killed i don't know if we find out details but they're um murdered right at the beginning and then later we like get flashbacks i think um does that and that sense? is a character yeah. where you can kind of fill in the blanks on sure that one. yeah yeah it's just like i'm pretty sure i know why that guy got killed actually yeah um so let me see what else do i want to jump into yeah so i mean speaking to that like I mean, messiness yeah of, there's so much i know speaking to the messiness of the character it also extends i think to the book i mean we were talking about like that the book doesn't preach about its characters i think that's kind of extends to the entire world um something that like you can you can make some inferences that like you know where Jaime stands on you know like the dignity of uh gay people (laughs) right like to exist and have love and relationships just because he's choosing to portray it with such like um significance in the book but at the same time it never feels like didactic in anything like, there's a no, ton of stuff no. in the book that I'm like, I don't know what Jaime feels about this stuff, but, like, his characters have the whole spectrum of opinions about, you know, a certain topic. Mm-hmm. You know, I can make guesses about how Jaime feels, but you never feel, like, the authorial voice is coming through to, like, teach you how to be, you know, a good ally or something, which is... Yeah, or that, like, anybody is saying something that you couldn't question. Like, I always look at that. It's like, even when Maggie just talks about her own life, you're like, sometimes Maggie's straight up just, like, lying to herself, you know? Oh, yeah. And that's kind of I fun. Mean, like, both, it's both fun Maggie to watch Because we all like, do it. I'm not gay. Like, what do you mean? Like, people, like, yeah. tease them for you're being like, lesbians, and they're like... Cool. No, no, no. I just like Maggie. No, we're not gay. Like, watch me, like, be in this weird (laughs) forced relationship. Like, Hopi ultimately ends up dating pretty much predominantly women through the book, but also has, like, I don't know. It's weird. It's a weird book because it's, like, I agree with you. Like, there is, like, a very wide spectrum. It's, like, I've heard people... I, like, dated men for a little while in, like, my early 20s, but back then that meant, like, you're not really a gay person, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. And, like, uh, you know, bisexual eraser is, like, yes, that's a bad... It's you're being homophobic to me as a lesbian, but you're also being homophobic to like bisexual people, you know, like there's a Mm -hmm. lot of like grossness to that. And for a long time, I thought I was bi, you know, and I wasn't. But that doesn't mean bi people don't exist. Right. (laughs) But it's like there's a lot of there's nuance to queer identity. And for me, like a lot of like what I will read in Hopi is is like she's kind of doing these things in like a situational it's like when she's with men it's kind of like a situational thing where it's just like that's just the person who's here right now and like all of these other people are gone but it's like I would read it that way as like a lesbian and I'm sure that like anyone of different identities will read Love and Rockets a little bit differently because I think that there's always 
Like there, it's just like there's so much to it, I guess, that, you know, you would almost be able to empathize in almost whoever you are, I would think, because it's like there is this interesting universality to a lot of like what they're doing. It's like these weird little arguments are kind of universal. The weird not knowing what you're doing with your life in your 20s, you know. I, there's just a lot of things that I'm I feel like I relate to I guess in the comic and it's kind of weird because it's you know separated by a generation like this is kind of like a yeah I think I was like born right around the time actually no I was yeah. born I think it was right around the time that Love and Rockets came out right yeah, and so yeah. it's just like the generational gap the fact that I like never lived in a suburb in Los Angeles sure. I'm a white person like all of this but it's like you still relate to the characters a lot I feel like yeah because mm-hmm. I would say there's like a generational gap in like maybe the the way those like identities are being talked about like the specific words mm-hmm. that are being used and the ways in which it's not like necessarily common knowledge as as much as it is it might be today but i feel like the yeah exactly like you're saying the experience itself is so true to life and it feels like, like look, there are there are there are many moments of like gay of um of of gay of maggie and hopi was like oh yeah yeah no i know that <laughs> that that feels right that feels very, yeah. very right even it feels even like if the bringing... context is completely different no i'm sorry mm-hmm. i didn't mean to talk over you no go ahead sorry because uh, it feels like he is not it doesn't feel like he's pushing he's looking at the world and being like well here's what i think is going on with gay no people. he's just showing people right right it's just like he it looks like someone who has a lot of <laughs> like a, a, a wide view of the world and is observing people and then putting that on the page and not saying like all right well you know what i think there's lesbian there's confused lesbians and there's confused gay men but bisexuals aren't a thing and i'm gonna like push that like you know, for good or bad, right? Even if it's a, a a theory of gender that I, you know, would believe in, it doesn't feel like he's mm-hmm. saying like, well, here's what, you know, like, let me make sure I express clearly that like, bi people are really valid. <laughs> like, it doesn't right, necessarily right. do that. He's just saying like, this is what people are. Sometimes they're like messy, but like, I know lesbians who say they're not, le- or I see, you know, women who sleep with both men and women, and they just say they're straight because of whatever reasons right so it just feels so right. observational and lacking in like yeah that that i mean especially now it does feel much harder to find that kind of like not trying to hedge your comics in some kind of like but just so you know you're not I, messaging as the right? author yeah <laughs> you know have good takes you know like you know i might want to wade into some messiness but i just want to make sure you know that i feel the right yeah. way about it's you know, weird to write stuff like that and i think that that's something that it's whenever you're doing it it's fascinating kind of because it's like i write pretty much exclusively very messy characters and i was thinking about it recently because it's like you almost are put in that position of having to be like but I would never do this <laughs> or sure, whatever. And yeah. it's like, yeah, I don't think I would do any of this because it's a make-believe story. Like they're like, you know, whatever. There's like a sea monster in this story. I wouldn't fight a sea monster, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. But it's just like, I always think that it's interesting. But that's also why I also I sometimes do kind of hesitate with like Love and Rockets to fully wholeheartedly like recommend it, right? Because it's like, I'll say it's my favorite comic. I love this comic so much. But I've had a lot of people who will read like only an issue or two. 
and be like, not for me. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, what happened in this issue? And then you read it and you're like, oh, yeah, no kidding. I understand. <laughs> like, for I mean, sure. There, there is the aspect of like, well, what, what you're saying is like, it's the frustrating position that I think people from any kind of marginalized group writing about that can fall into, which is, you know, needing to write them what's the represent their own group as you know like not messy because they don't want uh -huh. to feed the fire of you know like any kind of quote-unquote like dangerous tropes or whatever like read that trans woman who wrote the attack helicopter story and then right. got like drummed out of life <laughs> like just completely shunned entirely and it's like this is a trans person just writing about their own life and you know but they didn't write the right trans story um you know so like the Jaime on the outside of that you know maybe doesn't feel that pressure um but then you know also maybe can then write I, I think because of that lack of trying to like take any kind of stance or feeling like there's a strong stance taken um you know, maybe avoids getting too bogged down and like, well, this is homophobic because some of it, yeah, it is homophobic, but you know, yeah. it is homophobic reflective of a way that people are homophobic rather than like, you feel like the work is leaning into it. I don't know if that makes sense, yeah. but maybe that yeah. like frees yeah, him a little bit to, you know, like... The lack of moralizing, right? Because yeah. it's like, yeah, yeah. you you are the one who's trying to moralize while you're reading <laughs> Which, which I like, just want to say, have to do that work. Th that's a shitty, uh, you know, paradigm that we have that like, if you're a gay writer writing gay fiction, you are held to like, some much higher standard than, you know, maybe a straight writing, writer might be. Because, writing sure. like lesbians that are kind of abusive to each other is right. like something yes. I've done before. Yeah. And it's always something where you're like, there's, you just know for sure <laughs> that there's gonna be people who are like, absolutely the fuck you're, not. And it's just like, that's fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, well, because they'd be like, you're harming our cause, right? Like, Yeah, and I'm like, cool, well, I'm in horror. Nobody point. takes horror seriously, yeah. so we're good. Like, I just want to live over here in the horror corner, and then yeah. I'll just write, like, subversive shit over here. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's, like, how comics were, right? You know, it's like, I think that with the Hernandez brothers, and it's I can't ever speak for them, but it's just, like, you were in a time where, like, just simply this comic existing was, like incredibly subversive you know like doing all of these different kinds of stories talking about the punk scene you know like that whole time period i punk was super subversive especially in los angeles like mm -hmm. the you know a city that's just built so much on glamour and then having this kind of like messy punks going to see yeah. x and black flag <laughs> is just awesome yeah i mean and even with the like lack of uh uh, being moralizing or like taking a, an uh, an obvious stance like to me it's hard to read this comic and think <coughs> like the create like Jaime is homophobic like I, I'm thinking specifically of the there's one series of panels where Maggie is looking at Hopi and like very much being like so attracted to her and saying like hey it's been it's been a while since we, since we've had sex together and like there's a series of panels like so sweet and tender between the two of them. It's like, yeah. how how can you see that and think the like the the person who wrote and drew, drew that is like homophobic? It's just like, and or obviously it's messy like, and it's com more complicated than that. But it's like this is such a sweet, beautiful moment between those two characters. It's like, yeah, I mean, you you know, it's not like <laughs> he's not a raging homophobe, obviously. Oh yeah, I mean that's right. what I meant. You can kind of like 
yeah, yeah, you yeah. can make some. I think there's some assumptions you can make, but then you know, if you want to dig into like interview Jaime in 1988 about exactly his thoughts about you know like gay theory, right? And like some of right. it's probably going to be yeah. pretty messy, and you'd be like, well, that doesn't hold up, <laughs> or like that seems like to kind of miss the mark. But you know, like he doesn't seem like he's proselytizing through the comic, which I think you know is good just because you know things change and. I think that's what keeps the comic feeling timeless. Because this comic feels timeless. Yeah. I just like this comic. Seeing how queer it Absolutely. was, though, that it's too, like I even mean, in yeah. and of itself at like that time, I'm like, I, as I said, my first exposure, I was like, what, 12-ish or something when I saw yeah. maybe The Hunger or something like that, you know, mm-hmm. is like very sexualized <laughs> lesbians and, um, you know, or bisexuals, I guess would be a much better word. But I was thinking, too, that it's kind of, that was in the 90s this is before that comics like classically struggled <laughs> to have the, the, queer hun- the tony scott movie the hunger was the oh yeah the, the yeah, yeah movie that that's the yeah. same years this actually is it oh yeah. that's amazing so 80, like well that movie yeah. when when i saw the hunger yeah well that's sure. the year i was yeah. born so look we all there, there's all of these numerologies like lining up right here, i mean I'm, but... i we just watched bound for the first time which came out in like 98 or something and even it's now <laughs> i'm like wow they really don't like you don't really get this kind of level of like oh these are just lesbians they're not dancing around it it's not like mm-hmm. you know cut to black or, or it just kind of digs into yeah. that and it's shocking for like 98 i'm like wow they, yeah they really went for this in the 90s and then it's still tricky to get stuff like this made so like yeah. uh, you know yeah so for really this to be is almost 20 years earlier than that um, is, you know, is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. I couldn't agree more. And I, so I always want to be, well, and also I always think Terry Down is like such like the classic mean lesbian who I kind of love, like the uh, Cheryl Blossom, if you will. <laughs> um, and I just think that, so I love her being in the book. I love, there's just like a long list because also once you get into Palomar, like the queer characters in there are so messy. We'll have like pl- much to talk about <laughs> when okay. we get to that. But that's basically, it is like, I, I, they're just the same as all of the rest of the people, right? So it's like you have all of these other characters. They're all pretty across the board, equally messy people. <laughs> so I think that it's like good. I want to say that the represent- the representation of messy queer people is off the charts with Love and Rockets. Yeah. 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 Well, I mean, it's just the messiness of people in general, too, right? Like, yeah, I, I think it just extends to all, you know, and so because of that, because he just allows people to just be a mess in all regards of their life, you know, it extends to, to you know, the kind of queer angle of this. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, it, and we keep talking, we're, we're talking about like the queer angle of this comic a lot, which is a big chunk of it, right? And it also, it's just, it's incredible. <laughs> I just can't get over it's how good this comic good. is. It's awesome. It's, it's oh, because we have to talk about the actual stylism of the comic, I know, right? no, I know. That, that's on the docket for sure, yes. Okay, I but see. I, it's just one of these comics that I feel like, you know, every... As I read more of it, I'm, I keep getting surprised at how much more it brings in. Because by the end of these first three volumes that we read, which is issues one through 50, it just feels like one of these comics that kind of holds the whole world in an... Uh, you know, in its little lens of, like, here's these two characters going through the world, or, you know, six characters or however many were spotlit there. But it just kind of has... 
you know, like sexuality and your gender and labor and poverty and how shitty it is to work and how hopeless it feels to be, you know, the politicians and billionaires ruling your lives, but also like the kind of fun adventure stuff. Like it just kind of holds, you know, the death and suicide and jealousy and love and friendship. Like everything is reflected here and it just feels so big and wide without while still being like just about a couple of people in a very specific like it has that specificity but also that expansiveness and it just keeps getting more expansive which is just yeah. the like every time i pick it up and read some more of it i'm like oh this whole thing's just about wrestling <laughs> like and we never really <laughs> and that's the thing like jaime is also just interested in like here's like the six things he loves to talk about and it's like jack kirby comics it's Mexican wrestling, it's like lowrider cars, it's like punk music, having a, you know, being stuck, having shitty jobs, and, you know, like all these things that he's fascinated by, but he uses that to like reflect just the, you know, I mean, it's kind of great American novel stuff of like, it's the whole experience of being alive in a, you know, a modern society. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, it's really remarkable. It feels like I've had that feeling with so few things outside of books, right? Like, there's some books mm-hmm. that can do this for me, but, like, outside of novels, it's <laughs> it's really hard. Like, Six Feet Under is a TV show. It's, like, the only other thing I can think of right. that, like, holds that, where I'm, like... Yeah. That, that whole show feels like it just kind of covers the whole feeling of what it likes to... what it means to be alive, period, but then specifically alive, like, you know, now, in this, like, century, not even, like, in this one exact year, but just, you know, like... The, the the whole scope of um yeah yeah yeah, yeah th- like so much stuff it's 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 really crazy i i do want to say because i still haven't read it we talked about this last time we recorded i still cannot fathom what gilbert's will be li- gilbert's side of this will be like and that i will respond to it the same way it's still like i'm almost bummed out that i had to read the Jaime stuff a second time even though i love like i liked it even more the second time because it reminded me, and it ma- it's making Jaime's stuff so much more um, present in mind for reading the Gilbert stuff, so the comparison will be there. But, like, the fact that people love both, right? Like, Sarah, like... Oh, the, both, they're, both they're are... completely different vibes. Yeah, they're just yeah, yeah. totally different vibes. But the same thing that you love about Jaime's stuff is going to be exactly what you love the most about Gilbert's stuff. Uh, the stylism, of course, in different ways, like they both have very different but similar art styles. And it just is a different story entirely. You're looking at a poor town in Mexico and kind of the uh, soap opera dynamics that they have between each other, but mixed with like, you know, horror stories from <laughs> the real world. And it's so good, but it's so different that I think that you're going to find, I think that they complement each other so well that it's one of those things where each time, first of all, if I am ever experiencing like any kind of like writer's block or creative block, all I do is look at anything from like either of their work. Like I just look at Love and Rockets because to me doing like three pages of this you're just like the, uh, I feel like I just like went back to school or something and learned something and, well, and, it's and also, just reading these little it, clips and it's like if you read through any handful of issues they're gonna do six different things right it's yeah. not just like well they do this one really 
good, you know, they do the soap opera of these two people hanging out in a town really well. It's like, yeah, and then you cut later and he's doing an entirely different, like, you know, this is a woman's, like, fever dreams as she dies and it, the, the like, freshness that it... So it, it just holds so much, like, both formally and, you know, like, on a literary level. It's going to add accents to this work that's just going to blow your mind. And also the the sheer creativity of Gilbert, I think, is something that will impress you a lot. Because there's, especially once you get into, like, fear of comics, he's messing around with the form of comics in ways that I think are just absolutely groundbreaking. He's given almost no credit for that. Obviously, they're given credit for how great and groundbreaking Love and Rockets is overall. But I think his very specific kind of offshoot stories where it's like you'll see him try to fit like a hundred panels on a single page and it's just like little like very small drawings of like the same character in different facial expressions and scenarios or whatever it's just like fascinating stuff so I think that if for me I love experimentation probably more than I love it doesn't matter to me always if experimentation succeeds or fails so I might be like the wrong critic right but to me I think that his stuff is incredible so I'm excited for us to get to that too because the balance that it's going to strike I think for your read of Jaime's stuff is going to only add to how good it is yeah I mean that the fact that like it's just hard for me to wrap my head around adoring this comic as much as I do, thinking it's as much of a masterpiece as I do, and then never hearing, oh, yeah, everyone loves Jaime's stuff, and, you know, like, Jaime's is clearly the better half, right? Like, I I don't hear that kind of, like, you know... I I think people have their favorites, but it's not like there's some clear consensus. Right. Like, yeah, the Jaime half is a masterwork, and then Gilbert's stuff's pretty good, too. It's, you know, like, the people think they just really complement each other, which is why, like, it will be fun to go back and read this as a combined thing at yeah. some point. Um, okay, it's we sh- so good. When you get to that, yeah, that I, to me is my favorite style of reading yeah. it. I'm going to, I mean, I'm, I'm almost certainly going to buy that stupid $250 <laughs> set of the like first yep. 50 issues combined. Like it's, it's it has to happen. It's so something. pretty. Yeah. Um, I know. I'm so bummed about it. I have no money, but if anybody truly loves me, they'll send <laughs> me those, like hundreds of dollars of Love and Rockets comics. The, but also the, maybe don't do that because it could get weird, right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm like, listeners, send me this. Actually, don't because it's way too nice of a gift. And now I'm but, flying um, out to, <laughs> to meet you. And <laughs> um, yeah, this and is I'm Maggie like, staring oh, no. at those boots. Uh, and being like, I just need $50 <laughs> for these boots. Now I'm going to go yeah. ask Penny's boyfriend. And we're going to stay in his mansion so that I can ask him for 50 bucks. <laughs> um, um, before we actually move on to the formal stuff, and I know we have to because it's such a big part of this. Um, Charlotte, I did want to ask you about uh, the trans stuff that comes up in this comic and your thoughts on it. It's very minimal, I think, in this comic. It's really just one character. Um, but I wanted to see how, uh, how you read that. Yeah. I mean, it's really background and I feel like it's handled, I mean, kind of in the same way as the, like other queer stuff, specifically lesbian bi stuff, like very, like not prescriptive, not, uh, not moralizing, just like, Hey, it's a thing that exists. Um, 
It's it's see if I can remember correctly. It's like one character from their band, right? I think, which is transmasculine. Uh, I think the first time we meet we meet him, he's like still going by his dead name and still using she/her pronouns. And then at some point, I can't remember when exactly. He's, it's like he has a new name and like characters mention it and like mention mm-hmm. kind of like in a weird transphobic, but like mostly just like not clearly getting what's going on with him way, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it's like, it's definitely a thing where, like, I would have been curious about that character having more of a presence, more of a... Like, I don't know, like, maybe, Sarah, you can you can talk to whether that character comes back at all or not. It, it does um, feel kind of like Jaime is really aware of gay people, like lesbians and bisexual people. Like, it's something he's very, like, familiar with. And then trans people are probably just something that, like, he just Maybe, hasn't had yeah, as much, like, ex- literal, like, exposure to knowing as many trans people. Because it's, like, sure, yeah. having having gay characters in the comic is clearly, like, a priority uh, for him. I mean, that it's a big chunk of the characters. But then, yeah, yeah there's, there's not that many trans people. Which I think, I think is true for yeah. a lot of people, especially in the 80s, right? Like... And more and more. Right. I was going to say that I... might not know a trans person. Oh, yes. But Uh, you might know a lot of gay people. (laughs) Or at least an out trans person. Right. I was going to... Sorry, I keep I keep totally. jumping in just as you. <laughs> no, I think I kept jumping in actually, and so There's I felt. just a second line. <laughs> I yeah. feel bad. I was no, like, no, I good. keep like, yeah, you always do that, right? Though, like yeah. that. I mean, I, I by which I mean I always do that. It's like uh, when you're on like a three person call, you're just like, yeah, right, totally. <laughs> and then yes, you yeah, keep yeah. you get like excited and start to talk. Um, it's something I've done many times. That's why I'm glad that we have a sound editor at Bitches on Comics because I'm like, oof. Um, <laughs> Thanks for making it smooth, Kate. But yeah. <laughs> I was going to say that with trans stuff, like uh, whenever I was young, I r- didn't have a good understanding of it. Right. You know, so I, I don't, don't really know, that. I guess, because. <laughs> yeah. Right. As a trans like, person I myself, so- I can as say. As a society. Had, yeah. 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 So to me, it was like, I get that, like, they would have a character and like, because once again, like we hear people saying, we hear what people would say about pretty much everybody, right? Like you get those like lines about lesbians or whatever. You kind of just get that that's like something in the air that Jaime actually hears people saying (laughs) and it ends up in the comic or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, that's just kind of, I don't know. That's how it is. But Again, I don't know. It's it, an interesting one because... Does he you, introduce more trans oh yeah, people over time? Or focus on this one anymore? It's I remember more specifically that Gilbert does, but mm, okay. I, as I said, I haven't yeah. reread that work in a minute, and I remember the character having just been introduced, so I'm not sure what the follow-up okay. has been on that either. Um, so I'm going to have to... Well, I also just need to read all of the very recent stuff, like the last few years. It's like they come out every now and again, and I like there's a tendency to miss it because I feel like the PR of like fanographics, I like never hear from them. And I do a bunch of there. It's like you will have a good reason to hear from them. Right. So I never really hear from fanographics. You kind of have to go like look for the Levin Rockets when they're going to come out or whatever. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I'm just I'm just a little bit behind on like the super, super more modern, like maybe the last like two or three years. So I I'm not sure tons how has come out in the last couple of years. I I was looking because they're on volume. It's, four. Yeah, it's not much. Yeah, and they 
it seems like they put out an issue like <coughs> every once to twice a year now. So yeah, not a, not a ton. Mm-hmm. It's kind of crazy Something to like me that, that I'm yeah, like, and they're, they're like they're back doing... to the original format. Ugh, it's wild. I know. Wild. Yeah, it, they're back to the original format. They're back to tabloid size, and they're back to kind of bouncing back and forth. Uh, all of that's a cool thing, but yeah, as far as do they <laughs> do they get better? I was gonna be like, I was thinking just about how continually offensive like a lot of the characters are in the later days. Yeah. Like, there's a whole bunch of stories that revolve around Ray, where like Ray is dealing with Vivian, and Vivian is just a character that pretty much just exists to say offensive things. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, think I, it still I don't kind of continues like... where you're still, but you're like you're like Vivian would say that for sure like you're introducing this character that's like or there's like new teens like they introduce Tonta who's like kind of like the new Maggie in a way like she's the new main character of some of the stories and like that character is just like as confused and weird as like a teenager like Gen Z person would be right like as I was whenever I was a kid as all teenagers are so I don't know. There, it's like you still just have like weird, messy stuff <laughs> happening. I guess for the most part. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's uh, the. I mean, it doesn't have to. You know, it's not like the book. You know, just just like oh, it's it's a. Uh, it's not a critique that it doesn't have more of it for me at least. Yeah. Uh, right. But it would be. You know, I'm sure it would be nice. And it's also just like yeah, those these are people that exist sure <laughs> well, just, yeah it's it it is intriguing just because of that character already exists yeah um and yeah, it's yeah. like one of the many characters that are like surrounding the main characters but doesn't get like their own story at the full front it's like, like literally like out two pages with yeah. The main characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah exactly so um, but yeah that's uh, definitely like a character that'd be more interested in in like I, i'd be curious if there was like one issue of uh, of that character kind of more at the forefront uh but yeah no it's like definitely not yeah. something i was like oh this is this isn't great or, or whatever just like yeah I'm, I'm not expecting it to be at the forefront but the way it's done it's it's pretty well done i'd say okay one more thing before we get to the art maggie gets <laughs> gains a bunch of weight uh, halfway through this i just have to bring this up because it's this is also something that's like remarkable about this comic somewhere around the halfway mark she puts on i don't know like 40 pounds it's not even that much but she puts on some weight he starts drawing her differently. and it kind of varies over time sure uh and it is i love this choice <laughs> of just being like yeah she you know hits i i don't know what the her age is because when she starts out she's like 18 which is always surprising to me this seems a little um, older, but, um, you know, when whenever this happens, she gets a little older and she puts on some weight and it's just a thing that happens. And that's like, that is my favorite part of this is that there's no like, oh, Rand race dumped her. And so she like, you know, depression ate her way into gaining a bunch of weight and it's a story thing. And then once she you know find some passion again and a spark she in her overcomes. life she you know loses the weight it, it, it's not a plot point except in as much as it's right. just a thing that happens to people like me when i turned like 31 and i just gained 40 pounds and it was just like yeah your body just wants this weight now <laughs> it was like nothing changed in my life i felt like i was as active and I, my diet didn't particularly change but i'm just older and it's easy to put on weight uh 
And people mm-hmm. react to it. People make fun of her for it. Some people, right? A, a fair amount of people really like it and are all horned up by it. <laughs> but like, yeah, she's upset about it herself. Like she has a pretty negative self image at various times. And she feels that um, way well before she gains the weight. Yes, it, it's actually built like way, way early. I mean, Hopi teases her about how much she likes to eat while she's still like quite thin. But you know, mm-hmm. then clearly, then she gains the weight, and then it's like that much worse because now. Reality is reflecting, you know, what she was already seeing in herself, right? Um, but again, mm-hmm. the fact that it's just so matter-of-fact, and it's just, like, a thing that happens to a person, and it sticks! Like, I don't... I'm I'm well into volume two, and she's still just, like, a little chubby. And it's just what Maggie looks like now. And it's it's so cool. I yeah. love it. I, I think yeah. I've literally never seen that in anything. Yeah. Anything before? I I can't think of any other art where someone just gained a bunch of weight just because it's just a part of life and, you know, it's just something that they're, you know, dealing dealing with is even too strong. Where I mean sometimes she deals with it and sometimes it's just, you know, it's a thing that you have to, you know, carry around in your life. Yeah. I feel like um, the the only And like, it's not Oh, please go ahead. Oh, sorry. Uh, I feel like the only equivalent I can think of is like if you have a TV show, like a long-running TV show, and like one of the actor in their personal life like gains on some weights, like that, like their character will have to, in the same way. But like, it's literally th- only. Can you think of an that. example of that? Because I can't. I was trying to think that. I was like, yeah, in real life, like yeah. real life might reflect. I mean, I, I can't think, think of, of a specific example, but like, I usually I, think the opposite. Must have happened it's at like, some. Yeah, it's usually actors getting thin. And because it's like most TV shows would yeah, probably be, feel like they're too polite to say <laughs> to try to write in that one of our actors got fat and they wouldn't want to yeah. make it a plot point. But like Chris true. Pratt getting ripped for Guardians of the Galaxy and making the joke like I just stopped drinking beer on Parks and Recreation to explain why he right. dropped a bunch of weight. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's, fair. that's I see like, it go that way, you know, where someone loses weight, but they kind of don't integrate it the other way. Uh Anyway, yeah. I wanted to say, too, that it doesn't affect what her relationships are or that people are really into her. And, I mean, I also wanted to say, like, later on, there's a moment where Ray sees much older Maggie. Like, I think she's probably around age 50 in the comic, and so is he, of course. And he's just like, God, Maggie has just gotten so hot and she's gotten (laughs) older. Like, he's just having this moment where he's like, god (laughs) like why is this woman increasingly beautiful Mm -hmm. and it's just like so there is this kind of uh appreciation of like women aging women you know not being thin because obviously like you know i mean fat phobia is such a part of culture it is especially a part of comics it is all over comics Mm -hmm. it is hard to escape it in comics it is everywhere character in a comic it is part of your power set (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, like essentially, you, yeah. People, I mean, I try. I'm trying to think, think of that like a character who think of a superhero, a character in a superhero comic who's fat, where it is not part of their shtick, right? Like, there's Kingpin. Yeah. There's was it Big Bertha? Even Kingpin the, is kind of part of his shtick. That's what I mean. No, no, that's what I'm saying. Because oh, okay, yeah, he's yeah. so muscular, right? It's like yeah, because she looks like Blub, Big Bertha. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like where it's just a character who. Is fat and then also exists, right? Or it's gold bulls fun. recently is like I don't think it's part of his powers necessarily. Okay, like, yeah, there's, there's one example that I have. <laughs> you know, but it, that's just, like it's incredibly rare. Yeah, it, absolutely. Versus the like, you know, 
So I... 50% of real humans who are, you know, a little chubby, <laughs> right? Like, Yeah, least... and everybody knows that fat people are hot just the same as everybody's hot. It's just such a ridiculous thing, but it's something that is so, pre- like, prevalent, I guess, that yeah. it does become revolutionary. I was going to mention, eventually, you know, at some point during every conversation about Love and Rockets, you have to bring up Strangers in Paradise, because yeah. that comic is such kind of a direct riff on Love and Rockets, and I was going to say that even that character, Francine, she starts out fat and it is just such a big deal in the comic. Like they just talk about it all of the time. Mm. And it's like kind of to me what you were saying, the way that they're just kind of like, yeah, she gets fat. It's fine. You know, <laughs> like it's whatever. She's still super hot. And also nobody really nobody around her cares is like other than to make like cheap jokes. But those are terrible jokes. And so it's like, I don't know. To me, it's like fat people win again, honestly. But that that's <laughs> yeah. kind of this character where you're just like, hell yeah, Maggie. But that just makes me like you even more kind of because, you know, there is ugh, like, thank God, you know, <laughs> like thank God there's a character, as you said, kind of like that's just like, yeah, she's just fat at a certain point And it's whatever, yeah. dude, like the you definitely get the feeling that the creator is still having a great time drawing her. You know, it's just it's interesting because it's like, yeah, honestly, that makes sense. It feels <laughs> like th- this. This might be a hot take or a stupid take, but it does feel more revolutionary to have a matter of fact character get fat than it is to have a comic a queer comic <laughs> at the time it was like i can point to a lot of other queer art like how often can i point to something that is not about you know like uh, a fat character like this you know where it's just about someone being young and sexual and existing and then they gain a bunch of weight like i really like i can't think of other stuff that does it like this in that yeah. re- they- like the fact that this feels so like outstanding in its field for that reason really points out how ridiculous the rest of you know media is um that it just doesn't exist yeah they don't else. even like, in comics they don't even have the same kind of body like it's like okay so yeah everybody's like thin and muscular but they can't even have different kinds of thin and muscular right like it's like there's yeah. no diversity uh, yeah. amongst it for the most part like there's whenever that you're reading x-men comics in like the 90s and you go from slim summers being like a tall thin dude to having like the same exact body as like colossus and it just kind of goes on from there right so it's like i feel like not only can they not do that they can't show body diversity really whatsoever like it's not even like (laughs) if you're oh go ahead no just chubby and sexual right that's the like the thing that Mm -hmm. you know that maggie is still very much like a sexual being and an object of sexual desire both for the other characters and for us like jaime still draws her very sexily like because you know there are other fat characters in comics i can point to you know in non-superhero comics uh, I'm like looking at my shelf. I'm like, oh yeah, that comic's got a fat person, but they're all like older or totally removed from like sexuality, right? So like, yeah, because in mm-hmm. the end, like the fact that she puts on weights doesn't matter more than like her her hair changing or like her her and uh, sure. and Hopi dyeing their hair. Like that's that's joked about and mentioned in the same way and just as much as her like getting on some weights, right? Yeah. And it, it, like, like all the rest of the comic, it doesn't moralize it and be like, you know, and this is okay, too. It's just, you know, it's literally just something that happens to a person, like, and then you just deal with it, and some people are shitty about it, and 
most people are, you know, just normal about it and it's fine. Um, okay, mm-hmm. so th- that does actually really transition into something I want to bring up, which is I don't, I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit here and it's not necessarily something <laughs> i think that the thing we all uh share in common here on this call is we all like women um so i don't <laughs> think like maybe it, it would be in uh, comics we've got a lot in common <laughs> yeah and i think we do with jaime i think you actually said this last time sarah or sarah in defense the, of what i'm about the, to bring up is the, the, the horny dude connection <laughs> right and you're like with... me and jaime like the same thing which is you know like hot women um yeah I, a big part of the appeal for me, you know, I was talking about like this hangout vibe of the comic and it is hanging out with these characters who are really charismatic and they have a draw to them. But like, it certainly is a draw of this is how like sexy the characters are both in like personality and like physique. Right. And he draws all the women, I think, well, not, not all the women, I guess not every woman here is sexual, sexualized. I mean, like Izzy doesn't really get sexualized much because she is not like particular it's not her personality to be like particularly outwardly like sexual i think yeah Um, but you know that she had two like very high passion affairs so there's that too yeah it's not like she's she's not not sexualized sexual but like she is not someone who wants to walk around in like skimpy clothes or like tight clothes because it's not right, her right. vibe right whereas like, like maggie, penny <laughs> that's like right. penny's vibe <laughs> right penny and maggie and hopi are all you know pretty sexualized but it also like suits their character because they're all very you know like sexual mm-hmm. beings um but like i can certainly see the criticism of this comic that it is a little objectifying of the women like you get a lot of casual nudity <laughs> like penny often just shows up topless just for kicks, I guess. Um, and I don't know, like, it, it's, it, it doesn't actually bother me. So this is why I am playing devil's advocate. And I am kind of just putting that out there that I kind of can see a world in which, like, the manic pixie dream girl criticism can apply to this comic a bit. Of just, like, these characters being a little too sexy to be true, you know? Um, I don't know. I, I kind of I... thought I'd throw that out there, see where both of you land. Uh, I see what you mean. There's also like, pl- to me, there's plenty of points where like some of the characters, like yeah, like you said, Penny or even Maggie or Hopi are like, are topless, but it's like, sure. yeah, because they wouldn't be wearing a bra or shirt in this situation, no, right? I, like, I, there's a there's plenty a way of, of points where just like, yeah, that feels true to that feels true to life. There's a way of drawing nudity that is no, non sexual, right? Like when I see Steve Dillon. When Steve Dillon draws uh, <laughs> yeah. Trixie, no, not Trixie. What the hell's her name? Oh my God, the main character in Preacher. Um, not Trixie. Uh, Daisy. Uh, Tul- Tulip. Tulip. Thank you. God. Um, Fred, that comic so many times. He draws Tulip nude occasionally, <laughs> and it's extremely not like there's no sex to it, and he's not drawing her like ugly, right? It's not like he's trying to make her look, you know, unappealing or anything. It's just very matter of fact in the nudity. Yeah, or Natasha Alterici in Heathen is really good about just kind of drawing characters that are just straight up topless because they're like warrior women or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think like in this comic, I think it's very often like they're drawn, you know, for the like the sexual, you know, it, it is for the gaze of the reader as well to enjoy right like these are beautiful women and they are meant to be kind of like looked at 
like Meg Mog and Owl. We talk about that. Meg is nude in that quite a bit. <laughs> there's there's nothing sexy about the way that like he draws Meg yeah. uh, nude dancing around in that comic. Dimension, not Dimension Twenty One. Black Hole. I think it's a little nudity, but it's not particularly like sexy. Um, mm-hmm. But I think Love and Rockets like is extremely <laughs> sexy. Like this comic yeah, is very sexy it's all super over the hot. place. It's very hot. You know, it's but- the same too as the in the Gilbert one. Like all of the main characters have huge boobs. Yeah, right? that, that's the <laughs> old, that's, that's like literally the only thing I know about. <laughs> characteristic as you'll be able to see. And I actually I will share a small anecdote, which is I saw there was a time where I left one of Gilbert's collections on a table and somebody picked it up. And as she was flipping through, she was just like, God, this is so sexist. What a bunch of garbage. Like, I, oh, yeah, nobody has boobs that big or whatever. But then as she was flipping through, she was just like, you know what? Actually, this whole story is about her, though. And then like flipped through like a little bit more and was just like, wait a second. Like, this is like really good (laughs) and so i think that like there's an interesting thing where it is still it's having like a sexy character and having the subversion kind of of like that character being actually deep and interesting i think is something not to underrate in this because these are all characters who as we've talked about they have inner lives and for sure there's characters that are like just super hot but i mean i'm definitely a pro have a sex scene pro like nudity you know all of this it's like to me to for me personally it doesn't feel gross because i think of a character like penny and that reminds me of like you know a stripper that i knew who like literally would not wear clothes or whatever if you like go to her house you're she's sitting there naked like that's just how it is and like you know, and like that wasn't sexual, right? And like with Penny, it almost yeah. always is. But Penny is, she's doing it as part of a performance. And like that's something that I think is always really interesting about her as a character, right? So I think that that would apply to pretty much any of these characters if I was just like, yeah, I'm, like Maggie's naked, you know, sometimes or whatever. And it's like, yeah, and I know more about Maggie because of those scenes. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I, for me, just to be clear, I don't think that every time something is sexual, it needs to be relevant to the plot. No, I don't. no, that's, that's <laughs> definitely just, not where I'm like, yeah. But I was going to say that, like, that there is a humanity behind all of these characters that prevents you really just, just sexualizing them. Like, I can't. You look at Penny, for instance, as being just like a super hot character who like is always there for the drama. But there's kind of a tragedy behind that for her. Mm -hmm. And I just think that that's why for me, it just never really for from what I recall, I don't remember it really hitting me in a very wrong way ever because I always felt that like, yeah, I just think that they are horny dudes who really love women i guess so charlotte did you want to did you have something to say oh no no i just was just agreeing yeah um yeah i mean i i kind of i i I think i mostly agree because it's like a little different between like when we talk about marvel comics you know marvel comics are so horny all the time and extremely rarely do I not feel icked by like, them. <laughs> right. And it's it's prudish, too, though. Like, yeah, that's that... kind of the thing. There's, like, a, a really gross kind yeah. of, like, anti-sex message totally. to all of the horniness very, of the Marvel strange. Universe. I mean, yeah. the, the we've just, we're covering Dan Slott's She-Hulk. And it's weirdly, like, that's a, yeah. half layering at her. Like, half of it is drawing her sexy body for us to look at half 
like scolding her for wanting to have sex with a bunch of no guys. I, I have so much to say about that run yeah. it'll just turn into the she-hulk podcast like but same, and, and i same, think because you wrote about this for comic book herald so because you wrote a like a she-hulk best of list a while ago um and i did notice you skipped the john byrne she-hulk so we might clash on this but that is one of the things that makes that comic work for me and that she-hulk is sexy in a way that i appreciate in that comic and kind of vibe with which is that it feels so baked into the character and the character is having fun being sexy right like Mm -hmm. the character is sexy and knows it and wants to like you know and likes sex right is horny herself (laughs) in that Mm -hmm. uh, that run and that like makes so much of the difference when it doesn't feel like oh here's a character that you know they're just existing in the world but at the same time we're just drawing them so that you can, like, you know, get hard, <laughs> like, looking I up think there. That, uh, yeah, I think that basically that run I didn't want to recommend just because, first of all, that's, like, the only one that yeah. people recommend yeah. for the burn, most yeah. part. Right. There's like a burn, lot of... Burn comes with this Oh, yeah, I can't stand yeah. this man. But um, I was going to say, too, that... Uh, that it changed it's too much of a mess that series is too much of oh, a those mess first like for eight me issues to are to... incredible and then it kind of just yes. falls apart totally great jokes wonderful stuff oh, but yeah no for sure yeah. that was basically my okay. stance was <laughs> i was like i can't keep i Everyone can't do this list anyway. and be like yeah. and be mean. like caveat 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 yeah. <laughs> like, but like at that point you're just like just leave it off the list like talk about something you wholeheartedly recommend there are those scenes where she like fantasizes about you know hercules and having sex Wyatt. with hercules <laughs> yeah and it's like oh this is hot because like you know it's a consenting sexual relationship where both people are horny for each other rather than like mm-hmm. us just being horny for someone who you know gene gray who's just standing <laughs> in a room <laughs> like talking oh, yeah. x-men business and we're supposed to also find her horny so no i, yeah. I kind of agree I, I think that mostly plays out although i still think there's a degree of like just kind of like there's a slight degree of objectification, I think. But at the same time, I'm kind of like, yeah, I'm kind of on board with it. So it's hard for me to get too, like, uh, turned off by what he's doing here. Because I, I think you're right. Like, the characters are so fleshed out. They're so... They have so much agency here that it's, like, hard to feel that, you know, he's objectifying them too much. I think... Um, we would kind of lose out on part of them too you know like that's it it really is actually relevant to the plot with these characters it's almost like a quantity thing where there is like yeah there's a lot of it with the the characters a lot of nudity no but i totally agree like you want to see them you know how they portray themselves to people that they're sexually attracted to to try to you know make themselves sexy Right, to, you know, Mm -hmm. um, and we observe that, and that's part of their character. (laughs) I mean, Penny, for sure, right? Like, Penny flaunting I was just thinking about that, like... She shows up in the jungle topless. I was just thinking about that (laughs) part where... Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, she does that, for sure. Um, I was thinking about the time uh, where, like, Hopi gets all, like, into that, like, hella weird older lady that's into treating, like, young women like babies or whatever that was. I completely forgot that part of this story. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) It's, like, and she just starts getting, like, too weird. Like, she tries to get, like, Maggie into a threesome with, like, an art gallery Mm -hmm. owner. Is that right? And then, like... And Maggie's like, oh, God, and just got, like, really embarrassed and wanted to leave the whole time. There was just a bunch of stuff in that, like, I where it's just, like, 
at least at the very least he is very willing to be like yeah so like every now and again like you just meet like the these people who like are into some weird shit and then you're just along for the ride (laughs) until you get like a ride out of there basically i mean they have that there's that one woman i can't remember who's just very sexually aggressive that they like prank oh yeah set uh is it not daffy yeah is it daffy they set her like as a prank with no it's the uh, oh god (laughs) yeah what was that yeah 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 uh charlotte i have from i forgot about that i i have on my desktop which is very empty i have a little clip of you from our first recording of this episode (laughs) okay it's called charlotte what question mark question mark question mark dot mp3 and it's you quoting that comic and i just pulled out the clip of you oh, going, yeah. I'm gonna fuck the next person I see. <laughs> <laughs> you, you're screaming that. Maybe I, I'm gonna put a marker here so I can insert that. Just like <laughs> add episode. that to the intro of the episode without an explanation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. The let's see. Was there was something else I was gonna mention about that? Um, oh, oh, oh! One more thing. Penny, Penny and HR Costigan, I think is a really good example <laughs> of the comic going. Places that are not predictable, because I think this comic is constantly swerving and never following, like, traditional plot points that you think it would hit. Um, It's just constantly moving in, you know, the character dynamics. Penny and H.R. Costigan actually turning out to be kind of a sweet relationship is such a weird twist Mm -hmm. on what you would expect here. He's this horny old billionaire, literally horny, um, which I don't know what's going with that. He just has horns. But... Uh, and he's just trying to like <laughs> he sends like goons after Penny to like kidnap her and bring her back to him. Uh, there's a funny arc about that. There's like he, he's just always trying to like be like I'll buy you whatever you want. Just, just you have to just be with me. I'll buy you an island, whatever. And Penny being like wooed by that, and him actually being like kind of a sweetheart. Uh, like when it comes down to it, he's actually like pretty sweet to her. And it is more than just him being, like, a horny guy who wants to buy her. Like, he's just so obsessed. Their relationship, I think, uh, turns out to be, like, one of my favorites. And it's just really surprising from where you it starts and where you expect the kind of, like, you know, rich old man, hot young thing, uh, par- like, dynamic you normally would see in the, media. Um, the level uh, of agency that she has in yeah. the story, I think, is probably the most important thing about Penny, because even in the beginning, whenever you meet her, it's like, this is a character where in every other story, she would be kind of a one-dimensional bimbo who got treated badly by her husband but the thing with Penny is that she's in complete control of men like I don't ever see her interacting with any guy I guess that she's not totally in control of the situation and that goes double for this guy right so even with HR it's kind of like I could see that story of like yeah a woman who's very confident and in control and you know like using him for a good time but she's ultimately in control. But no, it kind sure. of doesn't play out that way. Like, she wants, she likes the money, but she also just kind of likes him. <laughs> you know, like, I think she right. actually, uh, you know, Specifically, likes Specifically, she likes him. Yeah. 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 So, like, I think. Yeah, I would agree with that. Especially because, yeah, right. Like, you're saying, like, he is, basically, once he kind of has her, he also is just like, oh, yeah. And then you can go do your thing with my money and, like, go off and live your life. And, yeah, you know, like you come back to me, but 
you go off and do whatever you want and play superhero in the mansion also whatever you're doing um, which is so much fun um yeah penny penny's so much fun i'm excited to read more uh penny stuff because i know she gets a real focus later on she does yeah you'll you'll probably i don't think you'll be disappointed i guess is what i'll say okay let's if we don't have anything else we can finally kind of just shift to talk about the the art um um, if it's just overall love and rockets, I gotta bring up Izzy. Um, yes, please. Yeah, yeah. Because Izzy has an abortion story, mm-hmm. and uh, I think it's maybe now retroactively. No, honestly, probably the whole time it's probably one of the most important socially stories because, like, they have as you as we've talked a lot in this episode, they have kind of like this distance on morality a lot of the time, which is as we've talked about, like very much a good thing for the most part. At times, it can be a little obscuring or whatever. They're not like necessarily drawing a hard line on things where you're like, oh. I, you know, like knee jerk, really want them to draw a hard line on this. Um, But it's the thing, too, is, is that I was going to say with Izzy's abortion story, she dates or she's uh, yeah, she dates a married professor. She she gets married before that. She dates. Yeah, she so she gets married. But the first relationship that she has is with a married professor. We never meet him from what I remember. And she ends up, I believe, having an abortion. That's when she goes to Mexico. Right. She is famously has horrible fights with her father, who is extremely like patriarchal and thinks that like she shouldn't even go to college and all of this stuff. Right. So she has a very difficult coming up like she has a hard life. She ends up, like I said, has this affair. This guy keeps saying he's going to leave his wife. I don't remember exactly how it ends off, but she ends up having an abortion. And then she goes to Mexico. She has, uh, she gets married to this guy for, and he has a son, right? Like that's kind of how she is. Wait, wait. So I might be messing up her it's, timeline. The point I is... I didn't get to reread yeah. this one on the reread, so it's been like six months. I don't remember the details. I actually am pretty sure I just messed up the timeline. But the point is, is there's a dude, then there's another dude. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. has a kid. And um, the, it's like basically she doesn't be able to stay with him, even though it's like a good like kind of fulfilling relationship for her just for her own personal stuff she's being haunted apparently by the devil or whatever mm-hmm. but the the point is 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 that she has an abortion story it she also has mental health issues throughout her life like that continues to come up and also the fact that there is kind of an obscuring is she telling the truth actually because the devil seems like he actually is a force in this comic later on but it's like you don't actually really know but the point is 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 like the abortion isn't like the result of the mental illness and it's not you know a punishment for the abortion like there's the Mm -hmm. way that they have those two things happening concurrently but not necessarily because of each other I think is something that is like revolutionary (laughs) because having abortion stories that are just kind of like this is something that happened it messed her up because she's catholic right, right. like so I she mean, has you, yeah. you can be pro-life and still feel traumatized get by messed abortion, up by it right? yeah like, it can still be a, sure. an upsetting thing of course yeah you, uh, yeah exactly and that's kind of the point is is that oh, sorry, there's so I, I, I much said, i said pro-life i meant pro-choice <laughs> i meant pro-choice i mean you I can mean, be pro-abortion and you know and then still have an abortion be a very you know traumatic or mentally punishing thing yes 
Okay. Yes. Okay. Make sure I'm, Correct. I'm saying that clearly. <laughs> yeah. No. Good point. I knew what you meant, and yeah. so I just yes. breathed yeah, right yeah. past it. But good. Good on you because that is a very different thing, right? Yes, yes, yes. But I was gonna say too, though, that it's such an important story for comics because where the hell is there an abortion story in comics? And then it's also just an important story at all because you have an abortion happening in a time period where not only does it not show up but if it was there would have to be some kind of moralization added to the story once again right kind of so simply by not really drawing lines yeah exactly not drawing lines on it is a big deal especially with something that has been always as volatile as abortion having a character have an abortion who isn't necessarily one of the most likable characters in the book like she's actually really antagonistic for the most part but she's so humanized in her story especially whenever he starts to go back in time and tell like what her early days are and stuff and you just have this wonderful idea of who she is as a person, but the abortion messes with her. It's like, but it's such an honest look at it, right? Because it's like, it messes with her. I don't think she regrets it. And it still is, yeah. you know, hard to deal with. And, you know, religion and all of this. So she believes that she's being punished for you know, abortion, married man, <laughs> and like all of this stuff. Mm-hmm. But that's more in the character, right? It's not necessarily like the story itself is doing that to her. So there is a lack of like moralizing around it, but that is what I think is so important about this story. We're at a place with abortion. I mean, I know people who work at Planned Parenthood who are just like absolutely worked into oblivion. You know, it's like that everybody's working around the clock there's so much danger and threats and like uh you know there's always the threat that is just going to go away entirely there's always been that abortion clinics are attacked like there's just so much about abortion that you really have to be like kind of you know you have to be able to show stories about it and we literally don't (laughs) so it's just like one of those things where it's like yeah we get to see like shout your abortion on the internet every now and again whenever it's trending or whatever but it's like there is a human right behind this and so I always want to bring that story specifically up because I think it's really important and if somebody asks me about like a nuanced abortion story in fiction I don't have a lot of options right (laughs) to be like this is great or like and even this one it's like it doesn't portray it as like woohoo let's go get an abortion everybody or whatever because that's not the reality right like that's just not how it is like if nothing else you don't want to go through like medical procedures for the most part or I don't like they're not something you get like hella thrilled about but I was thinking just that that's something I always want to bring up because with Roe versus Wade being overturned and like the extreme right wing you know nonsense I guess just pretty much across the board in this country it's like it can't go understated I guess that we need abortion stories and uh, Izzy's abortion story is super important to her in her life you know but it's like it's never really treated like you did a bad thing Izzy (laughs) or something like that right the the I mean just kind of what we were saying about like queer stories and not feeling pinned in by being like well you have the responsibility to tell the right queer story that like sends the right messages it kind of feels similar to that where it's just like it's frustrating that you know any story about abortion would feel like you have to make sure that it's politically i don't want to say politically correct because that's the the wrong idea but like that it's politically useful 
or you know like it would be easy to get marked as you know a story where you say that an abortion can be very traumatic a traumatic experience for you being like oh well you're just making argument pro-life arguments and it's like well no like you can believe in an abortion and still you know like the reality of what it can be to each individual is very different right and being able to tell those stories is important but then because of the political reality uh it's much you know it's much trickier and much more um fraught to to wade into those like nuances without feeling like you're adding fuel to a fire that you don't want to um yeah 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 i i, I totally agree with what you're saying it's it is very again in you know 40 years ago it still feels refreshing and something that we didn't see very often now especially in comics um and especially not a comic that's about it, right? You know? Yeah, where it's not 100%. The, yeah. Um, okay, anything else? <laughs> We're building up talking about the art <laughs> quite a bit. but Yeah. Uh, it's, uh, it, the art's so cool. Uh, Harry Lucy on Archie, like the 50s, 60s Archie stuff. Uh, Hank Ketchum on Dennis the Menace. Jack Kirby, I think those are the big things that I like pull out of it and that he talks about. I mean, I didn't pull out. Archie and Dennis the Menace I only you know compared them later seeing him talk about them in interviews and stuff but you go back and you're like oh my god yeah it's all right there um the art's incredible it's just this like master class in character work uh in kind of the the way that character expression conveys so much it's something that I argue with Dave about all the time on other podcasts because I'll complain that like <laughs> we're talking we just had this argument with Invincible uh, which is a comic where I feel like it's a lot of talking heads and the faces uh, of the characters express extremely little about the personality of the character or the emotions behind the words they're saying. And Love and Rockets is the best example of that I can see where like every the art reinforces what the text says, text says and modifies it like to such an extreme degree. Yeah. In every panel. It's just amazing it shows you just like what comics can be <laughs> in a way that you're like it that's so very rarely is right especially yeah. in superhero comics and superhero comics it's like justice league international is like the comic we hold up because keith giffen leans into that aspect so much of like the really complicated facial expressions the you know the scott mcleod chart of you know here's how you combine all these expressions to you know, do these nuanced kind of um, emotions on your characters' faces. And it's it's so cool. He, he he does stuff that, like, even on this second time, I was, like, amazed um, at how the art um, expresses so many different emotions on the characters' faces. There's, I think I brought this up last time, but there, there's a few times where he does two faces. One person will have two heads, and it will be Penny will be i think this is the the right example penny will be at a party fuming at somebody she's like ranting and raving to one person on her left and then hopi comes up on her right to like say hello and she'll have two different heads entirely with some like blur lines between them and it will show that she is going from a really angry impassioned rant to one person and then she turns her head and is so excited to see her friend and she'll be like oh hi hopi like and it's in one panel it's one panel one drawing that will show that like immediate shift <laughs> in emotion yeah i've literally never seen anything like it in a comic book that could show somebody's like just fast shift in in emotional state or how they're interacting with two different people it's uh yeah. Which and is it's 
it's so smooth it's so natural it's so yeah. readable it's incredible that's 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 funny to me because i feel like that's a very american thing or like that's a very american lack if that makes sense like i feel like that's mm-hmm. a, a stylistic way of, of portraying emotion that i feel like i've seen a lot in in european and maybe even in manga uh, but like at least in, in european comics feels like that feels like a very natural thing to me um but yeah now that she's now that she mentioned it like that's not something i've seen in superhero stuff or american uh, you know what i feel like that's maybe a thing don rosa does in his duck comics sure. um, i mean manga, like that's, manga that's the I can style of uh, of comic i yeah I, I see. Manga takes bigger swings, I think, in general, you know, yeah. generalizing here. But, like, when I'm thinking of manga kind of as a overall, you know, like, uh, formalistically, like, big expressions swinging from, like, you know, huge tears pouring out of the face, the head gets enormous, and the veins bulge to show angry, like, really big swings in emotion that you don't see in American superhero comics, which would be nice, like, getting more expressionistic with it. Um, he doesn't generally get that, like outsized with it character like characters mostly stay on model right like he just draws like this huge range of emotions and subtle emotions all throughout and that's the amazing like the amount of times characters like maggie looks into the camera (laughs) kind of with like a thing a finger on her chin to just express like you know that she's just kind of being dense about something as she says something that in hopi's stomping in the background um yeah, it's and like, every character has an esp- expression, even if they're in like far background. Mm-hmm, so that's mm-hmm. like another fun thing is is like you really don't see characters that aren't making some kind of face, right? So the 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 also the fact that I mean that that um, the amount of expressions that you're talking about, like that everybody is drawn with that level of detail. This is fifty issues that came out over fourteen years, I think. Right, which is like what four four ish issues a year. So it's between three and four a year. Um, we've on on the Fantagraphics miniseries we're covering. There's a ton of comics that have like this extremely detailed work artwork that took ten, twenty, thirty years to draw the whole book. Even at the pace of only three or four issues a year, it is still like. The heck, like how did he do this this quickly <laughs> like the amount of work the amount of inking the like just the amount of detail on these pages um the output that they they did on this is uh is remarkable the pace of the output um because there's there's so much here to like dive into he does a lot of shading at the beginning which i didn't realize until on the reread that he does change styles pretty right. severely later on and he like he removes a lot of shading um, it, the the image gets a lot yeah. cleaner and a lot sparser as time goes on. And I think maybe he just realized, like... Yeah, he leans into, like, kind of a noir aesthetic, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of, like, heavy black yeah. ink areas on every page noir, for the most part. but also, like... And then at a certain point, he starts to do more... Oh, I was going to Oh, yeah, go ahead. Like, comic panel, like, uh, newspaper comic stuff, like, later on, right? Like, yeah. It starts looking a little more like Dennis the Menace mm-hmm. or Archie in, like, a lack of... You know, it's, yep. not, it's not lacking in detail, but a lack of, I guess, shading detail. Like, he's not cross-hatching and drawing, um, you know, yeah, very shades of gray uh, everywhere. Like, it's it's very much more black and white, like you're saying. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's wonderful to look at. It's It reads so easy, you know, especially, like, once he really gets rolling, you know, maybe a few years in. 
uh, I mean, that's the other thing we should talk about is like, these are untrained. Both of the brothers are untrained, right? They are just people who um, love comic books, read a ton of comic books. Their mother like fed them comics their whole childhood and like fed this uh, passion for comics and like mostly clean stuff. And then they both have said in interviews, like they had to sneak all the stuff that they weren't allowed to read. Um, and uh, I, I can't even remember what it was, but they like, they definitely snuck a ton of stuff um, that also influenced them, but they read a ton <laughs> of like Archie and uh, Jack Kirby stuff that their mom gave them. Mm-hmm. Um, Sweet. All, all of the women in the, uh, in Love and Rockets, like, love comics and love wrestling mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's pretty great awesome, yeah the loving yeah, wrestling the whole the, wrestling, the wrestling thing angle. is like oh that's just something you love and you want to talk about and i love you for it so like it's just i know nothing about it but it's just <laughs> so fun me, and the, the... <laughs> exactly been... uh, I, no but like the, i did think you would uh, say that at first and i was like oh thanks charlotte because i have oh. been talking to you about wrestling so <laughs> you know much what? it's true also it's very cute when you i've you been get sending to, charlotte really excited about these... wrestling <laughs> I've been sending Charlotte all the oh, wrestling man. TikToks. I've been watching a ton of nineties yeah. wrestling lately. There is like a um a local federation, not like local local, but very close to me, and I just I don't have money to just devote my life to filming them, but mm-hmm. I'm also just like, wouldn't it be cool if you just like filmed them, you know, There's, for three months or something? Jaime gets a lot of traction out of repetition of a shared belief. Um, in this comic, which which kind of sets the the tone of the world, so like wrestling is a good example of that. Where in this world, it seems like wrestling is real. <laughs> it's it's this weird yeah. thing where there's never. I don't know if it gets into it later. I don't think so. Where like it's not set up who's gonna win, and they are wrestling for real. And like when Rena talks about becoming the champion, she's just like she never mentions like you know the the managers you know made her lose once her run was unpopular it was like someone beat her and you know that she had that Mm -hmm. uh maggie's aunt um, vicky used her feet on the ropes is something everybody knows i love that it's this cult (laughs) it's like everyone's you know it was the just because she used the ropes (laughs) like it happens like all of the time in the comic and and, like in real life in wrestling but like everybody it's this like narrative that everybody is aware of it's like everybody watched this wrestling match everyone knows oh everyone knows vicky used her feet on the ropes like and that the whole (laughs) world is aware of this but also that wrestling is real like that's i I even looked it up i was like is luce libre wrestling real like is that a difference is it american (laughs) wrestling that's just phony because i don't think so at least like in the 80s like i've I've seen some of that wrestling i just watched cassandro a movie about a real life um a gay lucha libre wrestler in the 80s um Mm. and i'm gonna watch it it's good it's it's gail garcia bernal um Ah. and uh it's fun yeah yeah it's good but and there's a whole interesting thing that i'm actually kind of shocked that Jaime never gets into there's a a strand of Luce Libre wrestlers called Exoticos which is basically like gay drag wrestlers who get to play like outsized gay performances as their characters and like Mm. Cassandra was the one that kind of shifted it to be like you could be a star and do that and not be like kind of the butt of the joke but like it was this interesting thing where you could come out and be gay as a wrestler but you know you had to come out in kind of a parody of yourself um right learning about all this they were pretty big exoticas so i was like 
Oh, I'm kind of surprised Jaime never touches that. Anyway, um, yeah, the wrestling thing is so good. And if you keep reading Love and Rockets past where we stop, uh, the next volume has literally just like pages and pages of textless wrestling of like two women wrestling. And it's just like punch, punch, kick, hold, grapple, grapple, like uh, suplex. It's so good. That art is incredible. Um, It was released as a three-part miniseries, I Mm -hmm. think, called Whoa Nelly. It was so good. Yeah, yeah, it's really fun. Like, I had such a a blast with that. Um, Oh, man, what else do we have to talk about? (laughs) Man, I mean, everything. Yeah, I I mean, it's so funny, right? Like, we we haven't talked about, like, the comic makes me laugh all the time. He's got a real knack for, um, especially insults, the way that people insult each other or these, like, phrases i'm gonna (laughs) i'm gonna beat you with a hot wheels track uh is something that (laughs) comes up a lot and you're like once someone says it for like the fourth time you're like wait a minute why is everyone (laughs) like this is a touch point touchstone for everybody where everybody (laughs) knows that like getting whipped with a hot wheels track is uh you know some kind of turn of phrase in this world um (laughs) yeah hope he's i i love the like he does the sometimes sunday morning comics that are like the dennis the menace ones where uh yeah called like hey hopi and then a picture of hopi in the <laughs> bath being like hey it's for horses ass bite <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> the like just the the phrasing um is so funny and so sharp i mean if this comic i, I kept thinking this reading this, if this comic came out literally unchanged today i wouldn't be like oh this feels a little outdated this feels like an 80s comic like right it is shocking how modern and singular it feels um yeah 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 okay i think i might be might i've run through all my notes charlotte do you have anything else <laughs> no i feel like we've covered uh i mean we haven't covered everything because no it's i'm sure like there's a, a ton big of stuff. great comic but like yeah, yeah. we've yeah, yeah we've touched about a bit of everything yeah yeah no, no, no. i think we even ended up going longer this time than we did the first time so yeah um well if you like this, keep reading. Read the Gilbert stuff. Um, you know, you can find it will be in the show notes for this episode, and then also on the spreadsheet. Um, you can get on Patreon. F- which uh, which collections we're covering? I think they're Hoopla. If you're you know want to get them through your library, it has some of them, but not all of them. It was weird. They had the second and the third Jaime collections on Hoopla, but not the first one, which was kind of annoying. But they're they're kind of yeah. reasonably priced um, if you wanted to collect them like 30 bucks a piece which is not nothing but they're they're a pretty good deal um yeah but yeah we're gonna be reading the gilbert ones uh in like six months from when this episode comes out or five months um yeah and uh yeah i can't wait i'm i'm psyched we're uh, we're only a month away from recording about it so i gotta start reading and uh very yeah, excited i still yeah. don't know that much about what happens there and like how how different it is from um i from literally Lucas, know i'm really really excited i know you can't see my expression right now but i'm just smiling like so big like oh you're about (laughs) to have the time of your life like enjoy you know what's cool about this is there's some of my favorite like pieces of art are things that really like it feels like you can only really experience for the first time once you know uh and then it's just like well that you know that that feeling of the freshness and that like new feeling of like you'll never experience this for the first time again is so not present here where like when i'm reading this i'm like i can't wait to like go back and read like it feels like a a work that just builds on itself 
right? that every time you read it, you're just going to like build up your understanding of these characters and get more insight into, you know, yeah, like it will feel richer every time you, it will reward the time that you like put into it. Um, yeah, Gilbert's comic, I know, mm-hmm. South American village, big boobs. It's literally what I know about it. So, <laughs> Good combination. Uh, yeah. Great start. Great starting point. Yeah. Um, if you are listening to this right now, uh, our next episode is going to be on 8-Ball, Daniel Klaus's 8-Ball. We're covering everything in the one collection called The Complete 8-Ball, just the first 18 issues of it. But if you want to go past that, there's more. Dave came onto the episode and he read... I think literally everything Daniel Klaus has ever put out. So uh, <laughs> he, he talks a little yeah. bit about that. But um, I will also say with hindsight, if you read a little eight ball and you're like, mm, I don't love it because we've had a few people who didn't click with it. I would say read, um, prioritize ghost. You can find these as individual trades that will like pull out these parts because it's an anthology comic. I'd say read Ghost World, read a velvet glove Dan cast Pussy. in iron. And Dan Pussy. Yep. And Dan <laughs> Those Pussy. are the three things that we, all three of us, were like, these are the three highlights of the comic, and we spend the most amount of time yeah. talking about it. And, of course, Bugfucker. <laughs> I love I was gonna say, I really Bugfucker. love... <laughs> oh, my God. I laughed so hard. I was going to say I love Dave Boring, but Dave Boring isn't that, like, the very end of the Dave whole good, yeah. comic? Yeah. Isn't that... I loved it, and then it just kind of is like, all right, well... <laughs> I think the whole comic ends after that, because they're like, well... I don't yeah. remember who who's Dave Bourne. I think he didn't read it. Oh no, that was that's post Doesn't... what we covered. I have not read Dave Bourne. Yeah. yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, my favorite, but take it with a grain of salt. Who knows? You know. I think Dave liked that <laughs> stuff because it kind of started to feel more. Oh, is that the guy who was? Dave said is so horny for butts that he yep. ends up dead or yeah. something. <laughs> yep. <laughs> something like that. Um, and he's friends with a lesbian who's like, oh my. God, dude! <laughs> like, I just love. I've always been a fan, considering how many like straight male friends that I have in my life. I love the um, lesbian straight man friendship, mm-hmm. and also you know all other kinds of friendship. But very, very specific. There's like a vibe th- that he captures <laughs> with that story, where I'm just like, I like this friendship. I am curious to to read more of his yeah. stuff, especially post like young man daniel klaus kind of curious to see what yeah. like older you know calmer daniel klaus sounds like because dave really responded to sure. that stuff so it's good uh, yeah. yeah yeah his new book's supposed to be great he just put one out or it's just about to come out um and dave, dave got an early review copy which is pretty enviable but mm. um thank you so much sarah again everybody go check out sarah's work um yeah which is thank on you, comics sarah. and sympathetic lightning you said right and your what's yep. your your horror um stories it's called uh it's called a small light and other stories Mm -hmm. and this year i was in a anthology also that was a tribute to the movie eraserhead so it is just a bunch of different writers doing you know not like oh this is the sequel to eraserhead but just like something that's inspired by the general vibe of eraserhead Mm. and i wrote a story called more machine that's actually deals with abortion a lot so if anybody was intrigued by my comments on izzy i guess Mm. um you could definitely check out that anthology i also just want to shout out all of the other creators and you know the importance i guess of eraserhead in my life because i watched that movie as a teenager and was like really 
really captivated, I guess, by like the, it's like, for me, David Lynch was very much like the gateway drug of weird art, right? Totally. So, and oh, I think yeah. is for a lot of people. Yeah, Mulholland So it's yeah. nice to kind of look back. Yeah, it was nice in what a masterpiece. I love, I think Inland Empire is my favorite, but I digress, Ooh, right? But that's kind of, that's kind of cool. uh, looking back is like being like oh like it was so important and here's like kind of uh, here's my version of that mm, or something cool. or like here's what i is on my mind right now thinking of like a hellscape of like city industrial you know kind of thing so check that out maybe it was called uh the pinworm factory was the name of the book so um i i thought of something for love and rockets i wanted to talk about before we end <laughs> i thought of one more thing i i had a note of <laughs> Um, well, I was thinking of, I was looking at this, I was looking at Love and Rockets tattoos, uh, oh, after yep. this, because I was like, well, man, I kind of love this. And like, it kind of is so suited to get a simple black and white tattoo. And I was like, what would I get? And I was looking at what other people got. Yep. Um, still on the table. I still. I got one. Do you? Um, you have a, mine... Really? What, uh, yep. what do you have? Yep. Mine is from, uh, the news stories. There is a character that's, um like a mean parody of luba basically like that you guys it's like mm. everybody on this call maybe hasn't met luba yet everybody mm -hmm. who's listening maybe hasn't met luba because that's all like gilbert style right mm -hmm. um but it's a kind of a parody character and she's just comically keeps trying to do things that she's not good at like she tries to be a dance instructor and like all of this other stuff and uh, there's a scene where she drowns, <laughs> like basically like she tries to be a swim instructor and she drowns. And um, I have a, the tattoo of her like, um, like ups, upside down with like the little bubbles like coming up over her, like her, it sounds bleaker than it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess that that's kind of the story. That's kind of the story of Palomar, but yeah, it's, it's always awkward because people will be like, oh, is that like a fairy lady or something? And I'm just like, well, she's drowning. <laughs> like, um, yeah, I mean, I I have no idea what I'd get. I'd probably have to sit and reread the whole thing. But that made me just think of the faces, which is something I do want to address, especially the first time through. You will be like, these are the same woman. <laughs> like Maggie and yeah. Hopi and sometimes <laughs> Penny. There was a time here in this comic on my second read through where I was like, what the fuck is that woman talking to Hopi right now and then later <laughs> I was like it's Penny like she had the wildest she had like yeah. this crazy quaffed hair that was black in the middle and blonde on the sides and it was you know bewildering mm -hmm. but especially especially Maggie and Hopi are really drawn similarly I think it's actually going to be kind of a barrier to entry for people um because it's just, it's so much As they contest. age, they look very different. Especially when Maggie gains a little weight. Oh, yeah. Then it becomes easier because her face gets a little rounder. Um, I will say... And they age just very differently. Sure. And, you know, sometimes you can tell, like, their hairstyles... Their hairstyles are generally what you'll use to tell them apart for a while. I was so proud of myself on this second reading. Because right at the beginning, I was like, that's Maggie, that's Opie. Easy. I can tell the difference. Like, it's so subtle, <laughs> but, like... I never had any confusion about it, but on your first read through, you will be like, sometimes you'll be thinking you're reading all about Maggie and then someone will call her Hopi and you'll be like, what the f that's Hopi? <laughs> like, I thought yeah. this all time was Maggie. Um, 
And then also, it doesn't help that later they, they each use like three or four different names. You know, they get nicknames. They have because Mag- they change their hair a bunch oh, of they times. They change their hair constantly, which you know does somewhat help as long as you, at some point, realize this one is has this haircut now. Um, but yeah, they, it's not really a complaint because I think it's done really intentionally. He clearly can draw a whole range of faces that he wants to have this huge array of characters but the two of them specifically being the main two characters and looking so <laughs> similar i think is uh it can feel challenging when you first start out i did want to bring that up okay uh thank you all for listening thank you to fm skyline for our music and uh sarah thank you again for joining us especially on a second recording for this i know you know love and rockets is fun to talk about but i'm glad you you know found the time to do this again and uh, we're looking forward to talking to you. <laughs> it's just so funny time, because you know? it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, it's basically that is just like, oh, do you happen to have three hours to talk about Love and Rockets? And I'm just like, let me clear my afternoon. <laughs> like, <Yeah>. I'm happy <laughs> to do it. Well, yeah, very glad. Um, and we will see you in the funny papers. See you in the funny papers. Ah. Say it, Charlotte. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I <have> like- <laughs>